the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is a Tuesday. It means power panels in. Uh, RD, be here in a moment. Uh, we've got Elizabeth here. We've got Paul here. And then RD is supposed to be here. I haven't heard anything different, so I'm I'm figuring that, you know, he might be coming down 67, 167 right now, mouth open, going, ooh, because of all the new concrete now we get to drive on. He might be like me. On Saturday ooh, when ah. I saw it, went, yeah, ooh, ah, ooh, wow, ah. you know, as it came down. They're digging up all the old concrete now that we've been driving yes, on. Sanchez. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I'll be so glad when the quarter of death is gone. <laughs> I will be so happy. There's been a lot of people die out there. Yeah, just, and and today, look, we had we had three big lanes and five cars still tied it up out there. <laughs> Smashed into the rear ends of each other. State police were there. Mm. Lady standing on the side of the road next to her SUV, head in hand, looked like she was crying. Mm. Just said it was a bad day, I'm just saying, out there. Oh. And the only thing I cared about is, why am I going 10 miles an hour out here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't. That's okay. It's It's doing all right let's just put it that way it's doing all right all right so we got a lot of things to talk about there's a lot of topics out there there's rd hey. i he told you it. he'd come in late <laughs> now just some, let me ask were you driving me on 67167 just going Ooh, ah. is that what you're doing no, I was coming out of Jacksonville and called a tie game crossing the railroad tracks in Uh-oh. Jacksonville. Yeah. I just missed the train today in Cabot. I go to the doctor, and I go to that AR clinic there on Jackson, down from the high school. And as I'm, I'm, I'm about, oh, I don't know, 40 yards from the, the crossing there by, uh, what's that, grocery store there. Um, anyway, I'm driving, and... and they start blinking, right? Crossing gates. Mm-hmm. I looked at my wife and goes, Gate's not down yet. I went, zoom, right over. No. I looked down and the train was way down. I mean, it was on your wife's side, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> it was on her side. And so we made it over to the doctor on time or I was going to be late. Nothing like catching That's one of those slow freight trains going through Cabot. You yeah. saw it, you got it in uh, Jacksonville, huh? Yeah, it was a tie gang with the ballast plows and tie kings and oh, tempers and all the equipment that they used to uh, level out the railroad tracks. Okay, so they were they working on the crossing? Is yeah. that what they working no, on the they grade? Were, no, they were passing through the crossing about 15 pieces of machinery very slowly. Okay, now do they, <laughs> do they have motors or are they still... Got two guys on there pumping oh, no, it. No, no, no. Yeah. No, I didn't see anybody on the. I'd love to. Have, I've always wanted one those? of those. I've always wanted one of those. Are you, yeah, old, enough to remember, are you old enough to remember when they now, used them? No. Whenever I, I was a kid, I lived by the train tracks, and they had the little ones with the Wisconsin motors in them that, that uh, transporters were about yeah. four of them would get in there, and it sounded like a lawnmower <laughs> going down the railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. A little, yeah. But no, I. You remember, you I remember know. them using the train No, Yes, huh? I do. I know that she doesn't want to admit it, 
but Elizabeth remembers them on there pumping those babies and going down the track. I remember seeing that on the cartoons. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. That was when they had steam engines, you know. They had steam <laughs> engines back then. I had steam Not engines. Nice to talk about <laughs> the Monon train that came up from Kentucky to northwest Indiana, brought my granddad up from Paducah, was uh, a steam engine. I remember the steam engine coming wow. up. Yeah. I keep well, telling you I'm as old as dirt. What is I'm it about to that you don't you, understand, I'm starting man? To you. <laughs> I don't remember no steam engines. No, I remember <laughs> steam engines. <laughs> it was only for a couple of years. Then uh, seems like to me, Monon started using Super Chief engines. You know the orange ones that had the oh, big yeah, Indian oh, yeah. head in the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Super Chiefs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Monon, I. I think like they were just way behind time, basically. <laughs> they were just making money as they could make it before they went out of business. Yeah, they didn't get the government subsidies like they may everybody not have, else. No, yeah. not like Pennsylvania did. And, right. uh, and, and you know, New York uh, Railroad over there. I'm trying to think of the big ones over there. It was, was it uh, Penn Central and all the rest of them? New York Central and, Penn, and the Pennsylvania became the Penn Central. There's a, well, there's a pretty strong history of, of federal subsidies. Lot, well, yeah, yeah, right. and a whole lot of graft in the land that you needed to go across the United States, too. Hmm. Indians attacking the iron horse. <laughs> I just know that I, 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 I'm aware it took an awful lot of human energy to make one of those little things go. Oh, I yeah. Mean, you wear yourself out. They were in good shape, man. I, yeah. I would like to get one of those. Just I need, make, just I make need it go around in a circle in my backyard. That'd Can be I fun. Watch? Yeah, yeah we, it'd be fun. We need one of those. It'd be fun. It wouldn't let, be. Let you funny. and Dave show us how it works. Okay, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about gambling. Yesterday, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, the federal law that said states couldn't have online gambling or you know parlors or anything was unconstitutional, and now. Under the Tenth Amendment, the uh, states have the right to decide whether they want to have sports gambling or not. Now, this was specifically about sports gambling. Wow. So the Supreme Court has decided that, well, maybe they do know how to read, and they're going to actually hold up the Constitution a little bit, huh? So the question – now the question will be, will the state of Arkansas – agree to allow sports gambling within the borders of arkansas and there's a pretty good a pretty good story about on sports page today uh dealing with uh, the governor and dealing with the universities and 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 everybody it's just so funny everybody's like saying but we don't know right now. We want to kind of check this out. Are there bears we in want, the woods? We, we want to, we want to read this. To we want to figure out what they believe. Well, uh, we want to read what the Supreme Court had Dave. to say and all of that. You've you know? got to phone a friend what you got to do. To see what's going to what's going, what's saying, going to happen. So, so they don't actually have any morals of their own. They're going to they gotta ask the public and take some polls and figure, gonna out, figure the, out. Ask the colleges. Oh. So on. I don't know when they'll make the decision. Probably not until the beginning of next year because the legislature will have to make the uh, final vote on that, and then the governor will so, either have so to sign it or not sign it. Are there some state laws right in now? In the that, law. Are there some state laws right now that prohibit it? I don't know. Hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, the only kind of, quote, wide-open gambling we've ever seen 
be okayed here in the state is the lottery. Then mm. you got the, the you got Oakland, and then you got Southland. And we had to change the state constitution to allow the lottery. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what has to happen. Now, if it's going to happen in the session, we're a long way out. There's a lot of things that have to happen, but gut feeling. What do you think happens, Paul? I don't know. Now, remember, I, I, they're gonna, I, I, I they can tax it. it. I think. I think the I, ideal would be that you know leave people alone as long as they're not hurting other people. It's, it's just a liberty issue, and and from, from from my perspective, to make it illegal is a human rights violation. Now here's the key. They said that in the United States alone, if the states go along with this, one hundred and fifty billion dollars on the line. Like I said, are there bears in the woods? Come on. <laughs> really? You think there's a question whether they're going to allow does, this or does not? Does a bear do it in the woods? I didn't well, say this, that. I know. Well, you didn't <laughs> have to say it. You have torn political things on this. You have the colleges, which are in danger with this much money being created. Where the money comes in, the corruption comes into this, is the lure to have the players to throw a game. So yeah. you've got a bunch of players going to college that don't get paid for working hard for what they do yet. And, might, and if you have a, a multi-million dollar industry come in and then the conversations start hap- happening, you know, hey, you miss a couple of last second shots next Friday night and, you know, it's worth $10,000 to you. Mm-hmm. So you got the colleges having to think about that. But then you got the, ta- the tax force or the tax force or the task <laughs> force or whatever you want to call it, the tax guys that are trying to figure out how they can raise more money. On the people of the state of Arkansas, uh, they're this might looking be the at solution, it, though. and they're like Elizabeth saying, they're going ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Obamacare <laughs> is free now. We've been saying it's free, but now it's really free because <laughs> you're on it, Mr. R.D. <laughs> so uh, if you weigh the two things out, I say Obamacare wins. You know, hundred. Oh. If you're thinking hundred <laughs> every time, taxes alone, one hundred and fifty-two billion dollars. Spread that over fifty states. Am I correct? It's $3 billion a state? That's yeah. what it comes down of course, to? For Arkansas and Mississippi, in Mississippi, it might be 1.5 the way we measure up. <laughs> uh, we do math. <laughs> no, I don't know. The, I'm just the way saying. we collect taxes, it may be more like 10. But yeah. I'm just saying, if it's, uh, I mean, $3 billion, let's say that's what the tax increment is. Our our budget right now is a little over $5 billion. And now that's not counting in federal right, right. You know, pass-through, pass-through. money. But Boy. that's our budget in the state of Arkansas. What, about 5.5, 5.6? It's 5-something, I think. It's about, right about, about five. that. I mean, I remember when when I was here with uh, – and, and Huckabee was governor. And I got here. This was 2000. And we were just breaking a billion dollars. Are you mm. serious? True. True. Wow. So, sounds to me like that's – We've came uh, that far that years. fast. Yeah, five, extra $5 billion in, well, in uh, 18 well, years. Well, that interest gets to compound in after a while, doesn't it? <laughs> it goes. Well, spending becomes a habit. Let's right, just put that's it that what way. I was talking about. Well, that's it, what happens. Between 1991 and 2013. 97% increase in spending mm. in yep. Arkansas. So, yep. Wow. Now, so gov- our population Dem- you can't blame increase. the Democrats for it for the last so, so would three. The, would yeah, the Republicans have, have agreed that back when Huckabee was in office that government was too big? I think they would have back then. Well, yeah, they thought it was too big. Right, I re- look, I remember the few Republicans that were in the House and were in the Senate. One was in the Senate, 
His name was uh, Gilbert Baker. Gilbert Baker, <laughs> and I always say that with tongue in cheek, of that was a Republican in the in the Senate. But then you had the Shiites uh, Republicans over in the House, and just remembering a few of them were Jeremy Hutchinson and his brother. Okay. Was it Chris? Is it Chris Hutchinson? There was uh, the other brother. He now he's out of politics. He's a lawyer up in Northwest Arkansas. So Marvin Parks was yeah, in office got, around that time too. Yeah, Marvin was yeah. around, and, and uh, Huckabee called them Shiites. <laughs> you know, Shiites. I used to say, you know, Governor, the Shiites is going to hit the fan, and uh, <laughs> they couldn't do anything. All they could do was make the governor look bad. Well, I tell you what, it sounds like that. Things government was quite a bit smaller back then. So, uh, well, it was smaller as far as Republicans. There was still the same amount of people in the government, basically. Right. Well, there wasn't as many employees. I'm talking about the budget and employee, the budget and employees. So, so so it's been raising more than three percent a year. So, what have what have we gained by getting Republicans in office? Well, it's growing about the same speed, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and there doesn't seem to be a, a steady push to, to actually reduce it back to pre-Huckabee days. Oh, no, no. Hey, if we could go back to— You're never going to you're, go You're back. not going Come back on, to man. there. No, I mean, it, if it, it, it could it, stop growing for no, five years. Stopping, if it could stop growing for five years. Stopping would be an improvement, I'm afraid. But uh, why is it such a big deal to ask supposedly small government Republicans to actually just 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 stop the growth? Just stop the growth. Why is that so, bit, so much to liability. ask? With change comes liability, and if you make a change and people really don't like it, there's liability for repercussions politically. So, you know, sure. there's so, not a business in the world that hasn't had to cut five percent off their budget in one year. There is no reason why they cannot cut the budget. The next time the budget comes around, there is no reason they can't cut the budget by five percent. Right, but the thing is, so that I, th- I think people would have more respect for them. Some people might might despise the action. But if they would actually stand up and have some principles, I think people would actually have some respect for them. I've said it before, political will. Look what Trump has done with the cost of presidential planes, the cost of an embassy in Jerusalem, the cost of several other things. He's like, no, not doing it that way. And within just a short period of time, we get what we were asking for at a much lesser cost, (laughs) which proves the point that if you intend to really lower the cost on something or not charge so much for it, you can do it if you have the political will. And look at the look at the tax cuts we got from Trump. They were actually substantial. They weren't just little. Here's a nickel. Well, it wasn't. We're going to we're going to give you a nickel and take a quarter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying if you really want to do something politically you can, especially if you have a trifecta like we do in Arkansas, you should we, be able to get it done. We, we could do it. But so the, that sort of says something, doesn't it? It, it <clears throat> says, it says, yeah, it does say something. The, <laughs> the fact is that we, we've got um, a bunch of Republicans that like big government. They just do. I'm sorry. Well, find some evidence otherwise. Here's the key. I said it when they were figuring out how to do Obamacare the Republican way <laughs> several years ago yeah. when Sanders and all those guys were working it over and we're going to make it uh, free market. We're going to do, do it conservatively. This. Yeah, we're going to do it this and that way. And I kept mentioning to them it was still Obamacare's bill. It was Obama's bill. And if they didn't want to let them have the necessary leeway to do what they wanted to do, 
they weren't going to get it. And I said, and if you give people, quote, free health care, what are you going to do when you got to come back and take it from them? And, oh, well, we can handle that. And, yeah, but right. most yeah, right. of them, most of them didn't answer the question. That's because, because they, they knew. No, no, no. Elizabeth, they knew as well as I know and you know and RD knows and Paul knows. You give people something in a new program, the program never goes away. Reagan was right. The closest thing to immortality on this earth is a government, <laughs> government project. Program. That's exactly what it and, is. And the easy solution is find another job. Yeah, point. I mean, right. And so look, look. So David Sanders is not running running for reelection. Who who else that ran that mess in uh, upon us is not going to be in office when the um, well, when, when Jeremy the, Hutchinson's not going to be there. He's right. out so, now. So so how many of these guys that foisted this upon us? Are not going to have to deal with the repercussions. Well, they're they're going to get cushy jobs. Go. They've got their repercussions. They got their fancy cushy job. They've got, they their, got their consultants their, or whatever hey, it is. You know their special you spot. Become, become a lobbyist. The one way yeah. you make sure that people keep going with the program and 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 supporting big government is you reward the ones that did so in the past. So the ones coming up see the rewards of the people that went with the big government programs. I, I don't think, and they're going to jump right on the wagon and say, "I'm going to get my reward too." I don't think it has anything to do at all. Uh, with that, I think it has everything to do with I want to stay in office because that's a right. reward enough because then I'll know you know what what's going on and if I want to buy some land somewhere where I know freeways coming through or whatever <laughs> I can. Uh, so <laughs> would they really do that anyway? I can't imagine. The bottom line being that uh, when you give people something, a government program never gets smaller. For the most part, I'm not going to say there's not an am, you know, uh, a, a weird out thing out there that has, uh, but for the most part, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It, and once people get on the plantation, they don't want to get off. Well, it's all that free money and those money trees that are you know just out the, there everywhere. The, the sad thing is, I was talking to a, another small business owner last week, and her family spends a large chunk of their money on health insurance because they're afraid to be without it. But they have a $5,000 deductible, and they've had surgeries in the last two years, and they've had to pay for the surgeries. They've never got up to the $5,000 deductible. So they're paying a monthly premium that they can't afford, plus Three to four thousand dollars they're paying on the medical bills. They're not using insurance at ten dollars a month. Yeah, tell so, me. So, so <laughs> then, uh, the p- only people that have insurance are the ones that are not working. So, if we get this gambling in here, good news, we can incentivize more people not to work for them <laughs> that aren't working to go out and gamble to try to win money that right. they need with our All money. Right. If you hate paying taxes now, and who doesn't really? Just wait until you withdraw money from your IRA, your 401k, or other retirement accounts. Required minimum distributions could force you to withdraw money from these accounts whether you want to or not. And it can trigger an avalanche of taxes and every year could get more and more expensive. So David Lucas wants you to know since he specializes in strategies that could reduce these taxes and save you thousands of dollars. Uh, that he's looking forward to meeting you. You know, he's a published author. He's hosted the David Lucas show here on 101.1 The Answer. Friend of mine's on the, on the show from time to time. 
So if you've saved at least $200,000 for retirement, be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free uh, review right now at 501-653-6690. If you want to learn how you can save thousands in taxes on your IRA or your 401k, call 501-653-6690. All right, we're back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Start the show off talking about legalized gambling here in uh, Arkansas. So I want to get back to get everybody's predictions. They're going to have to take this up, I'm sure, in the 2019 session because it's up to the legislature to say yay or nay, and then they'll draw up the law, and the governor has to sign or or not sign and veto it if you want. Uh, Typically, they don't veto, just, you know, let it become law, you know, without his signature because all you need is 50 plus one vote to override the governor's veto. Yeah, Governor Fallon. So with that said, let me turn my attention first. Paul, uh, you know, he jumped, my, my he, jumped, he, jumped on, huh? he jumped on the libertarian argument, and, uh-huh. and I understand that. But my prediction. Uh-huh. What do you think that they'll do? Do you think that they'll hmm. make sports betting in the state of Arkansas legal? My th- my thoughts are probably not the first time around. I think they're too big of wimps. Okay, they might do it. not the first time around. R.D. I'd have to agree with Paul. I'd say they'll they'll wait four years and do it. It's just like the under w- Tim Griffin. Let's see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, uh, uh. I, hey, there might be a change in regime. I'm still hoping for the Donald Trump effect to kick in. So I, I haven't I haven't given I haven't given up yet. But uh, so I'm hoping we'll have new people in there. And this uh, fall, yeah, this fall. And and I'm saying that they won't do it the first session around. Uh, it, but the people that are behind it and the money, they'll have to bring their money in and start lobbying, and they'll probably get it done in, in about eight years. Okay, with that said, I now move over to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, yay or nay? for the, So fast it'll make your head spin. You think they'll do oh, it? Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. Absolutely. So we no split 50-50 here. No we'll, lobbying required. No lobbying required. Yeah. It'll happen so fast. It's, I don't have a speaker of the House no or a speaker pro tem or the vice president of the United States sitting in this studio, so it's going to end on a 50-50 tie mm-hmm. vote. Now, I'm not for it, personally. I don't agree, but I think they'll do it very fast. Because it, do you believe they're doing it because the state's in financial problems and they're going to find themselves in worse financial problems when the when the higher percentage Obamacare kicks in next time? Do you think that's the reason is because financial situation or why why are you so sure about yourself? Uh, the answer would be yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we were in trouble, that we have been in trouble. We're still in trouble. The problem is that we, and rightly so, we're talking about the Obamacare putting us in such a financial bind. But the point of that is that is true. And that is the main reason I believe that our budget's in trouble. However, the problem with that is that we're ignoring all those other issues that are causing budget problems in Arkansas because we're all focused on the Obamacare issue. So it's a double trouble problem. But yeah, we don't have we don't have a spending problem. We have a revenue problem. You and know that. And this will solve the revenue problem. This will problem. solve that revenue problem. Well, Just like the lottery right. did, you know, less than 20% of the income from the lottery goes to scholarships for colleges. Where that other money goes, who knows, but the pockets are being lined on a regular basis. I'm sure of it. 
So, so you got to ask right. me why? Why yeah, do I sure, get yeah. a pass? Why are you so sure about yourself? Because the government never turns down money. There you go. They never and there's sure down money. money. And it's easy money. Here. It's easy money, yeah. too. And I believe that deep in the recesses of the state legislator, legislature, they're hoping just like the guy who pushed the medicinal marijuana deal, they're hoping that that 58% of the people who want recreational marijuana gets here they can't wait until it gets here it's gonna save they can't wait they hope it gets here fast 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 and they can get it make it legal here in the state of arkansas and just tax the living you know what out of it and make bundles and bundles of more money and here's another one and they'll never and they're not going to Pay down your taxes. I'm just telling you. <laughs> oh, no. They'll start more programs and tell you how nice they are being to you and protecting your life and taking good care of you. And you and won't see, even you won't even hear the lock on your door <laughs> in the room that you're in in the plantation. <laughs> click. Well, this is what I was just going to say. That I'll go a step further. Not only are they going to do it quickly, but here's one of the arguments they're going to say. They're going to say, you know, there's all this illegal gambling going on, and we're going to stop all that illegality. We're going to make it legal. You, you watch. And then you, you can, and you can turn around and make a. You can even expand the people who are out there trying to uh, make sure that people don't gamble illegally because they're robbing. The people of Arkansas from tax dollars. Well, and think about it. Who's going to argue? Who's going to argue and say, oh, no, other than the family council and certain individuals <laughs> who probably know exactly what they're talking about. But no one's going to argue about this. No one's going to complain about it. Everybody's going to be okay with it. Family council, Watch. by the way, Jerry Cox has already put on a statement. He's yes. firmly against it. For the reasons firmly. that I would agree with, well, by the way. Yeah. But there's no we there's no easy way to make a living guys there's no free ride there's no nothing's free you need to get out there and work for it and people there's not a free lunch no there's not a free lunch but what they're saying as long as you take it from somebody else instead of taking it it out of my pocket and nobody tells you that you're taking it out of somebody else's pocket but all the small businesses out there you think it's hard to find somebody to work right now then you get everybody. You already got free health insurance for everybody that don't work, and they only want to work, you know, twenty hours a week, so they stay within the poverty level. Rd, you know what's going to happen, don't you? What's that? They're going to tax all that gambling money. They're going to tax all that marijuana money, and they're going to give everybody a livable wage, mm. and nobody will have to work. Mm. Wow, boy! I tell you what. It sounds like sounds nice. It'd be just like Star Trek. <laughs> well, universal income. Yep, universal that's what I'm income. talking about. Where do we go from here, Dave? You know that I thought I was a pessimist around here. <laughs> I was. I thought it was interesting in this article that I showed you, Elizabeth, that uh, I got from uh, Charlie Collins, that was written by George McGovern, and a lot of you don't even have an idea who George McGovern was. He ran against Nixon. Uh, for president, he was a Democrat candidate, and he got his he got his face whacked off, uh, and then he left being a senator, and he became a businessman. And he, I'm going to let you all read it. This is from June first, ninety two, and then we're going to talk about it in the four o'clock hour. And here's what was interesting, though, in this particular article, we're talking about the universal wage. 
Elizabeth? Yes, sir. Did you know that George McGovern was the person who brought that up in the United States back in no. the early 70s? I did It was a big that. debate during the Carter that. era. During I should have known time. that. He was the first presidential candidate <clears throat> I ever voted for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. There was nobody else to vote for at that time, no other parties. And I voted for him because there, there was no other parties. I could, I could not, well, I, there, there was another Here party. Here was the choice, but Paul. I see you making it, faces. Here's the choice. George McGovern, George McGovern Richard, Richard Nixon. Nixon. And Richard Nixon. Pick and one. I voted for McGovern. George McGovern. I did too. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I won't tell you the bumper sticker that I had my on my car either. All right, we'll take a break here. We'll come back. We've got more to talk about. So Dave Ellswick show right here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, I want to play some audio for you guys. Uh, Artie, put your headphones on or you won't be able to hear it. Play cut number seven, the montage. Let's hear this. Jerusalem is still the capital of Israel and must remain an undivided city accessible to all. As soon as I take office, I will begin the process of moving the United States ambassador to the city of Israel as chosen as its capital. I continue to say that uh, Jerusalem will be the capital of Israel, and I have said that before and I will say it again. And Jerusalem will remain the capital of Israel and it must remain undivided. We will move the American embassy to the eternal capital of the Jewish people, Jerusalem. Therefore, I have determined that it is time to officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. While previous presidents have made this a major campaign promise, they failed to deliver. Today, I am delivering. I've judged this course of action to be in the best interests of the United States of America and the pursuit of peace between Israel and the Palestinians. This is a long overdue step to advance the peace process and to work towards a lasting agreement. There you go. Clinton, I'll move the embassy to Jerusalem. Bush meant to say that, but it came out, I'll move it to Israel or something like that. <laughs> Still don't know exactly what he was saying. Shame in that on thing. me or shame yeah, on you or and something then, like that. And then you've got, at the end, you have uh, President Obama saying they're going to move it to Jerusalem. None of them did, and just yesterday, the embassy opened up in Jerusalem thanks to President Trump. Now, here's the question for everybody. Two of those presidents were Democrats, Clinton and Obama. Between the two of them, they were president for 16 years. Never happened. And now that it has happened, which party is screaming the loudest, like little stuck pigs, mm-hmm. that it has happened? The Never Trump who party. Also, who also voted for the legislation to do it, <laughs> all right, back in the 90s when Clinton was uh, president. Because it passed through the Senate. We were talking, Robert and I were talking about this, Steinbach, yesterday. The vote was, uh, you know, unanimous mm-hmm. by the Senate. When they didn't think wow. it would happen. See, it's back to that. I guess that's what it was. 
Everybody had said, well, go ahead and vote for it because we'll never build it there. We'll never never do that. Hmm. Now it's done it. And you know what? They're, they're, They're blaming all of the violence there by Hamas and Hezbollah with the Palestinians. Well, clearly that's Trump's fault. On us opening that there. You know, Ben Shapiro had something to say about that. I mean, Ben, of course, good friend of mine. I, I had Ben on when he was 16 years old, when he was just getting <laughs> wow, started. Now he's amazing. the big dude. He's the big dude now. Here's what he had to say. Cut number six there, Russ, is Ben Shapiro. Uh, ben, first off, do you feel as though the coverage has been balanced, like, for example, we just showed you? <laughs> no, I mean, I think that the, the, there's so many media outlets that are acting as propaganda arms for Hamas that it's actually quite incredible. Hamas has not been unclear about their intent here. They have been saying for weeks they want to send literally 100,000 people to storm the border with Israel. Hamas has been obvious. They say we want to break in. We want to kill Israelis. Uh, they, they, they're not hiding the ball here, and the media are hiding the ball. The media are playing propaganda wing for a, for a terrorist group, which has made clear their intent. There are people who are storming the border, attempting to kill Israeli soldiers, sending kites with incendiary devices over the border, flinging Molotov cocktails at people who are manning the border, flinging stones at people manning the border. Right. And the Israelis are acting with their usual restraint, and the media are treating this as though Israelis are in indiscriminate fashion killing civilians. It's just a lie, but the media have been doing that for years. All right. And with that thought, I want you to hear a report from MSNBC when the uh, reporter claims that the Palestinian rioters were unarmed. But listen to the end of his report. Like on the ground. Well, Katie, what I've seen here just yesterday and last Friday was horrible violence. Uh, You saw tens of thousands of young people crossing fields between the urban part of Gaza and the Israeli border essentially trying to walk across this heavily militarized border um, unarmed. Now, as uh, you know, it's, it's easy to say they were completely unarmed. They had some light weapons. A lot of them would be burning tires or rolling tires to try mm. to melt the razor oh, wire. Really? Uh, they had slingshots. Uh, they had yeah. a, a new and crazy invention, incendiary kites, where they would try to loft kites and, uh, with, and set them on fire to try to light up some of the agricultural fields beyond uh, the border with Israel. Yeah. They had they had some light arms. Hmm. I'd like to know what light arms they had. I mean, they have AK forty sevens or what? Uh, you know, th- th- these were not peaceful people. Like, uh, I mean, he started off by you know they were just walking across the field. They're just walking. They were singing, "I want the world to sing <laughs> yeah. in perfect harmony," and they all had a coke in their hand. Yeah. That was and gas. Like, well, that like, was yeah, gas. it was gas in the bottle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With a thing on the end of the fuse. Yeah, they had it fuse. lit on fire, and they were trying to light up uh, people. I mean, come on. Hmm. You know, I can't believe that's a perfect example why people do not believe the media anymore. <laughs> it's a perfect example. Absolutely. That's why, why it happens. I mean, seriously. I mean, interesting what, definition what you, of unarmed. What is Israel supposed to do when you have a country or, you know, Palestine has just insisted that you have to die? Period. We don't want to talk. When We're, Hamas you're going to die. And Hezbollah are behind all of this, all right? And Two telling, of the world's biggest terror organizations. Well, and they're telling those poor people in Palestine. Hey, look, you know, they've pulled back. Go ahead and, and storm the border. So they're sending their own people 
in knowing full well no, they're gonna die. that there's going to be a massacre, and then they can turn around and blame us. Or they go see you know the father of a you know a family of five and said, "How would you like to make about ten grand? <sighs> Just give up your life. You can have, and we'll make sure your family's taken care of." What father might not do that? You know, death would be maybe it would be quick. You know, kind of how, how that goes. But yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. It's, it's really so it's crazy. so opposite of the way that we think that it's hard for me to wrap my head around it all. In the four o'clock hour, I play Nikki Haley at the UN yesterday, and what she had to say about all of it. Well, well at least they're consistent. You're right about that. They're consistent. Absolutely, absolutely have to respect consistent. Consistency. <laughs> well, I don't know about respecting it, but at least you know what they're doing. Yeah, you, you know, know where you they're know at. They're going to do the I same like thing. people I know always know where they're going to stand. Well, I heard Mike Huckabee <laughs> speak about it yesterday, and I like. You know, some of what he said, speaking about President Trump, he said, President Trump does the right thing. He knows that the right outcome will follow. You've got to do the right thing. And, of course, this is my comment. All the Ameri- all, all the United States has done is allow Israel to name its own capital. Come on. We wouldn't really appreciate it if somebody came They'd over here and said, Washington, D.C. can't be your the capital. Right. We they had 4,000 years ago they Come named on. their own capital. Well, and that's all we've done is affirm that. So all it's not done, our fault All we've done is been lying. Other. All we've done is been lying and telling them we're going to support them when Thank we you. haven't. Thank you. What, and now we've straightened Donald up Trump and done the truth. Donald Trump is not a career politician. Nope. Donald Trump says what he means, means what he says, and then he does it. Well, and he here's does another his cool best. Thing. He hasn't killed Obamacare yet. Now, <laughs> I, I, I hope that's still. But he's worked on it. He's worked support. on it. He's trying. Hasn't, hasn't yeah. our policy with Israel actually gotten in their way in, in more regards than, than actually helped them? Haven't we actually prevented them from defending themselves more than we've actually helped Preventing them? Preventing Israel from defending itself? Haven't we actually stopped them from, from, from bombing their enemies? In, well, in we, we, we have stopped so. them from completely obliterating their enemies. I mean, we stopped them in 67. We stopped them in the 70s, you know, when we called a halt to it. All right. I mean, in 67, they were rolling into Egypt, and Nasser was packing and getting going to get the hell out. There's no doubt about it. So, so Peace through like strength. Sounds like we've yeah. gotten in their way. And yeah, that was and, you and know, Moshe, Diane, and all those guys. I mean, that was... That was some tough guys. That was big, big stuff, man. I still remember the pictures of him sitting in the tank with that eye patch over his eye, looking out. He was a hero as far as I was concerned. They would bury themselves in the sand with a hook, and when the tank would come by, they would come up out of the sand with a hook and hook it to the tank with a chain on it. Yeah. And then they would attack the tank. They were some pretty tough dudes. Dangerous Smart people. people. <laughs> they well, were toughies. And I don't know, R.D., if you heard this or not, or Paul, there have been graffiti on the walls in Palestine that says, thank you, President Trump. Hmm. Graffiti. The people. And, Interesting. And they're talking I about that awesome. all of our allies are separating ourselves from us. The reason our allies are having to separate ourselves from us because they've got more immigrants in their country than they have citizens in their, well, country, and rem- in their country. And they don't have the ability to make a choice because they got millions of Muslims that will take over the capital if they don't. Well, you got a point there. All right. Coming up in the next hour, Ted Thomas will be here. Is it president or Grand Potate? Uh, from the uh, Public exactly Service sure. Commission. He's going to, well, we'll know when he walks in the, the exact I'm going to see if he I walks into the director. studio and if he's got a big, like, turban on. 
to be like the Putin tape. That's the grand poobah. No, see, he doesn't You're have it. Of the poobah. He does not have a turban. He doesn't on, have so a he's grand good. poobah hat. All right, so he's not a poobah. He doesn't have uh, buffalo horns or anything. <laughs> so he's coming on the Dave Ellswick show next. That is an awesome article, right? There. Did you do that, Ted? Come on, Ted. All right, it's three o'clock hour. RD behavior show. I'm trying. R.D., Elizabeth, uh, of course, uh, Paul is here on the Dave Ellswick Show and uh, joining us, special guest uh, during this half hour to hour. Depends on you get involved in the conversation and we get involved in the conversation. And if it if it just totally breaks down to screaming and yelling and throwing Twinkies <laughs> at each other, uh, it might be really fun to watch on uh, Facebook Live. You have Twinkies? <laughs> I don't have any Twinkies. Oh, darn. Tom, uh, or Ted, Ted Thomas is with us. And he is, okay, is it President, Grand Potentate, or what? <laughs> Public Service Commission. It is merely the chairman. The chairman, okay. That's even better. Okay, it makes it easier to, to get around with. Can, can we... Uh, can we be more politically correct? Call it chairperson. The chairperson. <laughs> All right. All right. So Ted Thomas is here. It's good to have Ted with us. It was so funny. I went, walked down the hall, and my boss saw me. He goes, who was that big man? How tall are you? About six, seven. Yeah, you, yeah. you're tall. I know I, I usually feel tall because I'm 6'2", but when I'm with you, Ted, I don't feel tall. I feel like Steve Martin. I feel small. <laughs> well, there's a cardboard cutout of Dirty Harry with a 45 pointed at me. Yeah, so there you go. Feel small. Behave <laughs> yourself. That's what, as Mike Meyer would say, behave. Okay, you got to do that today. So we want to bring you in. We wanted to talk to you about Windcatcher. Yes. We've we've had conversations on the show. Was it last week that we, we were talking about it? And I said, no, we need, weeks two weeks ago. And I said, what we need to do is get Ted on because we're going by secondary articles that we're reading you know i don't have these people in the studio or anything like that so we wanted to get you in and then we'll bring up the things that we're hearing and then you can tell us what we're hearing are they true or are they partially true or are they you know totally spurious and trying to lead us off on a completely path that doesn't even exist so mm -hmm. let me just turn it over to you first and say windcatcher has has been approved by the Public Service Commission, I understand. Uh, what was what were the reasons for that? I know that there were 400 public comments that, that were against it. Uh, what was it that convinced you over those folks that it needed to still be, you know, brought here to Arkansas? First of all, it's in the Swepco area only. Okay. Which is in the western edge of the state, Benton, Washington County, not Sebastian County, and then points further south including uh hope uh nashville severe county in that whole area all right uh and they're in the mice we're in miso over here in energy swepco is an spp there's a lot of wind in spp uh the solar development that we have is in miso and there's a reason for that and that's because the transmission cost of linking the two so when folks said well we'd rather have solar well you're over there in wind territory where the wind is much cheaper. The, 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 on the bottom line, it was a good financial deal because I view my job as chairman of the PSC, along with my two colleagues, Commissioners O'Gwen and, and Wills, as a risk manager. Now, if I had a crystal ball on what future prices were going to be, uh, this stuff would be pretty easy. we just look at the crystal ball, and, and then we would know. 
but as a risk manager, and there, the, to me, there are two big risks out there. We're, we're in the top five in terms of low energy costs. Okay, so our status quo is pretty good. We don't need to, you know, break it all down and start over. Okay. But the risks to that, the two biggest I see are natural gas prices, which are historically volatile, and, and uh, federal policy. Uh, such as what was proposed in the previous administration called the Clean Power Plan. Yeah, war what, on coal. All what right. what, okay. what Windcatcher allowed you to do is on the gas prices that was projected, it lowered costs, and it's a risk hedge against volatility of natural gas prices and of federal carbon policy. So in, in that regard, it was free insurance because system average costs would come down and we would hedge against the two largest risks to our relatively good status quo position. And when you look at it, that's what it is. If you can imagine a car, say you're going to buy a car, and they invented a new car that didn't need gas, no fuel at all, nope, and it cost forty grand. And you wanted to compare that to a car that cost twenty grand and required gas, and it was going to last for ten years. The whole question is whether in the next ten years you're going to spend twenty grand on gas or not, right? Do you see how that calculation Correct. is? Sure. The wind is fixed. It's a flat line price. So whether it's a good deal or not depends on the available compare, which is natural gas. And to me, the main thing the opponents of it missed was this risk hedging and, and portfolio management. For example, with Windcatcher, without Windcatcher, wind is 8% of Swepco's generation and gas is 46 With Windcatcher, wind is 25% and gas is 35%. So what the what the opponents missed, in my view, you know, they're looking at it in a silo. They're saying, "Is this a good deal by itself?" That's looking at it wrong. You look at a broader picture. What happens if we were wrong on swept, If we were wrong on windcatcher, and natural gas prices are lower, well, you get the benefit because you're going to save for that large portion of your generation that's still natural gas fired, and on your natural gas bill too. There are good things that happen when gas prices go down. We would get those benefits. Now, you get less of that with this project, but that, that's what, what portfolio management is all about. So, so what you do, want diversity in your portfolio. So what do natural pre- gas prices have to do to make this a good deal? If they flatline from where they're at, which is about $3, uh, you're, you're pretty much breaking even. If they go higher than that, it's a good deal. If they go lower than that, it's a bad deal. It's 25 years. So this is a long-term deal. It's not what's going to happen in the next two, three years. It would happen. What will happen over the life of the asset? So, if I understand it correctly, right now, natural gas is incredibly abundant in Amer- in America, and it's almost free because it comes with the oil. Mm-hmm. And we have a hard time figuring out mm-hmm. what to do with it. And, and if I understand it correctly, in in the Gulf, mm-hmm. they've been venting it because they don't they don't have anything mm-hmm. to do with it. They're capturing it now because they're, they're they figured out now. a way to liquefy it right. and, and transport it over way. to Europe. Yeah. So it's going right. to be so a is there, new is there market any reason to believe that the natural gas prices will go up or will they simply continue to drop because we may actually in, be pumping more oil? In 1978, the Congress banned the use of natural gas in generation because we were running out. They were wrong. Uh, in 1999, the Louisiana uh, regulators sued Arkansas and FERC because we were getting too good of a deal on our coal because natural gas prices spiked. 
they have spiked and collapsed and spiked and collapsed. Right, I, I remember them going over up to the about, years. what, 13 or $14 yeah. dollars the, back uh, six, seven years ago or so. Yeah. In fact, I heard one wag say that you know, the best way to get $2 gas is to predict, predict $8 gas. <laughs> and the best way to get $8 gas is to predict $2 gas. The whole issue is export. What happens with the export market? We had what appears to be long-term, uh, relatively abundant supply. Mm-hmm. But the way markets work is when you have a deal that's as good as gas is right now. Somebody figure the energy, out a way to transport it. They're going to figure out a way to use more of it. Mm-hmm. That's the way markets balance. And you look, they're building pipelines towards Mexico for export. Uh, they they had import facilities. They invested billions of dollars on import facilities when they thought it was going to go up forever. Then they spent billions of dollars on export. The, nobody knows. That's why you need a diverse portfolio. That's why you need to hedge. So you've got winners no matter what happens. What I'm not going to do is set a target. This is my natural gas price for the year 2040 and boldly sail to that. What I want is optionality and flexibility and watch stuff happen. That's why you want your eggs in more than one basket. You put them all in the gas basket, we get a price shock. Or we get, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton both wanted to ban fracking. If they find fracking fluid in the water in Pittsburgh tomorrow, gas is going to be $6 before the week's over. There's all of these various risks a crystal ball would help, but in the absence of a crystal ball, portfolio diversification is, is the only way to go. And, so and why is this the job of government? What's that? Why is this the job of government? Why isn't Because this? we have a monopoly. Well, I, I, I don't like that fact. So, so how do we fix that? We have what economists have referred to as a natural monopoly because the way to get competition when you run electric wires – is to run two sets of wires everywhere. So rather or, or than 10. do that, well, but then that's cost prohibitive. Right, I understand. I understand. A natural so, monopoly relates to a network, mm-hmm. and these things form even without government regulation. There's only one right, internet. Right. There's not internet right. A, internet B, internet right, C, right. because right. a network is the other thing that's unique about it is the capital intensity. It's a capital intense business with long lived assets. You're talking 20, 30, 40, 50-year assets. It's hard to get a good short-term price signal on the value of something for long-term. And, and, and th- there, there's other places where the markets are at work here, uh, and that's we have wholesale competition. Uh, we have a type of competition when we compare this deal to other potential deals. There's a vigorous wholesale market in both short-term particularly in short-term energy, mm-hmm. but it's the long-term. We have places that are trying to come up with a way to give you a long-term price signal when markets are inherently short-term. And, and we're in the bottom five in costs. We don't want to shuffle <coughs> the deck because if we shuffle the deck, we get a bad deal. Yeah, yeah, there's more upside risk uh, than downside risk with respect to cost. Yeah, Mr. Thomas, I know you're not the one that established this commission. I did some research. Mm-hmm. I think it was established back in 1899 mm-hmm. to deal with the railroads and yes. the national natural monopoly that they had at that time. Yes. But even on a natural monopoly, uh, we don't like it to be subsidized by taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Like these windmills, you know, we've read that so much of each windmill will be subsidized by yes. taxpayers. And then – uh, you're talking about you have a commission regulating the portfolio, but 
you know, whenever electric engines on the railroad became more economical than steam engines, they switched to electric engines. And I would have to think that we've got taxpayers subsidizing the wind uh, generation of electricity to when if we let, you said the markets uh, levelize themselves sometimes. So I believe without taxpayers funding for each windmill and without the commission guaranteeing them a return on their market that when the gas prices go up that the market would level itself and the company would build the windmills because it would be cheaper mm-hmm. without the taxpayers have to subsidize it mm-hmm. so that's my we, problem with it is it's all subsidized by taxpayers in both directions it, it's subsidized by taxpayers that policy is set by the federal government and it influences price. Now, that gives me two choices. I can pretend that the price isn't influenced by that and not do the deal because I don't like that. Or I can take the law as it is. Uh, and, and there is a large subsidy. It's 40% of the value. The thing probably wouldn't be happening without the subsidy. Now, one thing about the subsidy is it phases out. It's beginning to phase out. Uh, another thing, you know, to me, there is some subsidization it is reasonable to allow things to scale in a business where scale is important. You can't have legitimate competition in a business where scale is important if you're tiny and your comp- and your competitors are large. Now, I, I, in, in terms, if I was in the Congress, you know, I would say they probably overshot the subsidy like they generally do. But in some businesses, some scale, some justification for subsidies exist to scale up so you have a legitimate competition. Uh, they've probably overshot the target here, but it's pretty simple as an Arkansas policymaker. Those tax benefits are going out anyway. We're going to borrow money, uh, some of it from the Chinese, uh, to pay that off right. anyway. <laughs> now, where it leaves you in a position, you're going to take the money or not. You want me to go to my rate payers and say, you know, sorry, guys, we're going to let uh, the folks in other states have this money. We're not going to take it. Uh, that, that to me, you know, I'm not going to do that uh, to Arkansas ratepayers. Well, I'm not blaming you for it, but that's where we, that's where we differ. I don't like, you know, I don't think Arkansas is too dependent on the federal government in a lot of in a lot mm-hmm. of areas. And the more that we take, the more dependent we get. I think we, if we were a little more independent in education, mm-hmm. health care, and things of this nature. You know, we might be better off if we were a little less dependent. All right. And I got to get a break in. Okay. Let me get a break in. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. Our special guest is uh, Ted Thomas. It's with the Public Service Commission. He's the chairman. Uh, they have a, approved Windcatcher. We'll come back and talk more about it. I keep hearing about, you know, natural gas. I keep hearing about wind. I want to get back and ask, what about coal? Has it become such a pariah now? that we can't even depend on coal, and we got 500 years of it sitting up in Wyoming and Montana and North Dakota. Let's talk about that as well when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back, and our, our guest, Ted Thomas, who's the chairman of the Public Service Commission. Uh, we've got about 25 after. Uh, Ted, I told you, half hour, but maybe 60 minutes if necessary. It's looking like 60 minutes to me right now. That's kind of how it's, it looks in, working out. I notice that we haven't talked much about coal. Has has coal reached, you know, the pariah point? Nobody mm-hmm. even wants to talk about yeah. coal because it seems to be the most efficient way mm-hmm. of generating electricity. The, the problem that coal is having can be summed up in one word, 
fracking. Okay. Natural gas prices have been what undercut coal. Now, the Obama administration rules didn't help, but what, what, and that, that might be 10 or 15% of it. The biggest problem that coal has is it's undercut by cheap natural gas. The, the, the fracking revolution has really changed a lot of things, and I wish that the political dialogue in Washington would catch up to that fact. They're still talking about coal and Obama and blah, 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 blah. The real competition that coal is suffering from is from gas. So when the president wants to create more coal jobs, the only way to do that is to destroy gas jobs. It's like year, years ago uh, somebody made the joke, you know, they said that if we voted for Barry Goldwater in one year, there'd be 500,000 troops in Vietnam. And sure enough, I voted for Goldwater, and that's what happened. Well, Trump wants to bring the coal jobs back. The way to do that is, you know, Hillary Clinton's proposal would bring the coal jobs back. Ban fracking. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Barry Sanders, uh, Barry, not Barry Sanders, he's a football player. Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Bernie Sanders <laughs> wanted to ban fracking. The best thing that could ever happen to coal was for would be for Bernie Sanders to ban fracking. Uh, the other the other issue is the whole carbon issue, and and you know that's a contentious national issue. Uh, I have problems how that's debated as well, uh, but we can get into that if you want. Yeah, I mean, I would think if if you know natural gas is what's uh, holding coal back, why doesn't coal send all of its product? to China and to India who are building coal-fired generating plants like crazy and would be would love to get a hold of American coal. They do some of that. Of course, the folks in Long Beach, the folks on the left coast, make it, they ban the export or they ban the use of their port facilities. They can't mm-hmm. ban the export. There's some of that happening. And what's going to happen is some guy in Louisiana is going to set up a deal and we'll ship it from Wyoming to Louisiana. That makes sense, doesn't it? But but the the price has to be right. Economics drives all of this. Right. And I know that some of the solar and wind stuff is – there's subsidies there. Those are going to phase out over the next three, four, five years. Getting coal from Montana to Arkansas or even to Louisiana to ship it out is is pretty expensive, especially compared to natural gas, if I understand it correctly. Because natural gas, you can run through a pipe. Coal, you've got to put on a train or a truck or or a barge. Yeah. The transportation costs are a real factor also with coal. And if it's that much in the ground, it'll still be in the ground 500 years from now. Yeah, it's gonna, yeah. It, there is that much. I, my yeah. brother lives up in Wyoming. Man, yeah. it's amazing what yeah. they've got up there. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, but so it's, it's an insurance not, policy. It's, yeah, but right now the gas is cheaper. And, and the way the electric works, the system is built to serve the peak, which is everybody on air conditioner, hottest day of the year is usually the peak. So that that number on that day is significantly higher than most days. So we have enough generation, including our coal, to meet that peak. So the economic question is who, who runs and who is idle when you're not at peak. Mm-hmm. And, and right now the gas is cheaper for most in most well, and, and most natural, natural gas is a lot easier to ramp up and ramp back down, if I understand yes. correctly. Whereas a coal plant, you turn it on, and it takes a week to turn the thing on. Yeah. Well, or, that's... Or, it is less flexible. That's nuclear is that inflexible. Mm-hmm. Uh, gas is the most flexible in terms of ramping. So that, that those things are also very important. Every generation type has engineering limitations that we work around, every single one of them. The wind and the solar are intermittent. Uh, nuclear is almost intermittent because you've got to wait a long time when you turn it off. And there's the safety issues. Gas is flexible. Uh, Let's take a break. Okay. Got to get some news. We're making news right now, but we'll be back in just a moment. 
with After News with SRN. All right, so I've been talking about PI roofing for a long, long time, and specifically about what they do with your roof. I mean, you have a hole, a leak in your home. Uh, you call them. They'll come out, find it. That's why they're called uh, the roof leak detectives. And they'll find it. They'll fix it for you. But that doesn't mean that before they can fix it, that some water is not going to get in because I'm going to tell you what. When do you notice you got a leak? When you see the leak's uh, results, like there's a you know a stain on your ceiling or you see some drywall that looks like it's kind of you know wobbly or got uh, you know waves in it or whatever. Well, Joel Johnson understands they can fix it so no more water gets in. But it was difficult for you to get all those other problems fixed because typically if you want painting done, you want drywall work done, uh, if you need, uh, I don't know, you need some stuff put on the walls, you know, that you want to texture or whatever, that all takes a different contractor. So you're looking at three, four contractors. How about just calling the roofing company that fixes your roof and then they've got all the talent you need to get everything else fixed. And that's what PI Roofing has done. They'll take care of the interior painting, the drywall repair, the carpentry work, ventilation, insulation, all of it, because they have the professionals to do that. And Joel Johnson specifically went to that a few months ago so that he could take care of all your problems. All you have to do is call them, 501-687-6246, or visit them online, piroofing.com. Ted Thomas is our guest, Chairman, Public Service Commission. We've been talking about Windcatcher, and uh, I want to go back again and talk just a little bit more about about coal. So, what basically you're telling me it's a it's a cost thing. Natural gas right now is cheaper than coal, but number two, the PR campaign against coal has dealt them a serious blow. I would agree to that, particularly on the construction. There you got it. Particularly on the construction of new units. Okay. But that's not what's making coal go bankrupt. What's making coal go bankrupt is cheap natural gas prices. The other doesn't help. Uh, And I wish wish nationally they would be more rational about that. And I know the president talks about coal jobs, coal jobs, coal jobs. What creates coal jobs is ratepayers paying. And if you want to protect coal jobs, you got to say, sorry, Mr. Ratepayer, you're not a entitled to the cheapest you know we're, we're going to do this and i think that's a mistake a mistake in the policy and kind of likely criticize that what we need to do is put consumers first and make arguments that reflect the fact that markets exist to protect consumers when we win that argument we win but when we default that argument by picking one supplier and saying we're going to favor you uh, you're making a mistake and i know you can say well the subsidies but, but at least there's a market mechanism to run that through. Yeah, so right. And, and that, that battle is still going on. They want ratepayers to pay more than they have to uh, yeah, to keep I, a political I, promise, well, and that's a bad idea. And I think, I think it is a bad idea to subsidize the coal industry just so we can keep them, keep them employed. And so as I understand it right now, the natural gas is kind of the, the go-to because it is inexpensive. It's mm-hmm. very easy. It's also very clean. You don't have the pollution mm-hmm. that you have with coal because it's, coal is naturally yeah. kind of gross. Yeah. It's it's cleaner. You still have some issues. Right. There's, and, there's, there's still there's minerals a point, that, that get dumped into the atmosphere or whatever else. There, there are risks with natural gas that we'll face later if we become too dependent on it. And one of the biggest ones is you get further north that is uh, used for home heating. Mm-hmm. 
And when it gets really cold and you need a a lot of natural gas at a power plant and it's competing with stuff where we're trying to keep people's houses warm, then you have a gas supply crisis. So there's those kind of problems that will emerge in the future if we get too dependent on gas. But we have engineering standards that will tell us when those problems begin to emerge and then we'll react. And if we've got to pay a coal or nuclear plant out of market, we can do that. Because we need it for the reliability. The, the, the electric system is unique because it's difficult to store economically. So supply and demand have to balance second by second. Mm-hmm. And it's a network. The network goes down. I mean, if McDonald's has a problem, it doesn't bring down all the Wendy's too. Right. With the electric system, it's interconnected. And if something goes down, you get risks like with the 03 blackout. There was one tree that hit one line in Ohio and mm-hmm. it went to Quebec. And then, you know, they had a blackout in New York City because a tree hit a line in Ohio. But those problems, if you get over-dependent on gas and you have gas delivery issues, can emerge. But we have engineering standards to tell us when we need to do something to fix those problems. Did you have anything, Elizabeth? I would like to ask a question, and I'm not exactly sure how to get to it, so bear with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um my understanding is that the company that owns Swepco is pushing mm-hmm. very hard for wind as mm-hmm. part of its portfolio mm-hmm. and things that it wants to do in the marketplace. And I've read what Mr. Tenniel wrote mm-hmm. about this issue, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering why – no, different question. Not why. How does the PSC look at, like in this case, American Energy – um, sorry, AEP, yeah. the owner of Swepco. Yes. Don't remember the name of the company. Um, and those issues, or are we only looking at the effect in Arkansas for Arkansas economy and the risk um, spread that you're talking about? Well, pretty much we only look do, at do Arkansas. Do you follow where if, I'm going with this? I'm a little confused. <laughs> well, but they're, they're an Ohio utility and when you look at a map that shows where the wind velocity is, it's in the high plains. I don't see them having much of a wind option outside. <coughs> you know, the closer you are to the high plains, the more viable your wind option is. So I don't and, – and I and, well, but for them, what they do is make money by investing. And they flatline the price. If the price goes up and we're below market – Rate payers get the benefit if the price goes down or above market, it follows the rate payers. They're neutral as to that. They get a fixed rate of return on their investment. I think what I've read yeah. and, you know, again, what I've seen, and I may not have seen yeah. all of it, has to do with that generation uh, – sorry, that that ability that they would like to change their marketing from production of energy to transmission mm-hmm. of energy mm-hmm. and – that the company itself is pushing wind for the wind subsidies. I'm just wondering how much is that Arkansas ratepayers' responsibility? Well, I mean, I, I want. I, it, what, let me give you an example. If we love tacos and we said tacos are too expensive, and we love tacos, let's set the price at ten cents a taco. What we've done is ban tacos. The mm-hmm. taco salesman has to make a money or there's no tacos. That's the way a private enterprise works. And what they're doing and others, you know, of course this is part of their strategy to have a greener portfolio and all that. They get public relations benefits. But when yeah. when we do approvals, I mean, it's the bottom line. I mean, I drive the freeways. 
We send out three million utility bills a month. If they're wrong, that's me. That's my fault. I know people that struggle to pay their electric bill. I go to the Walmarts and see bald tires. That's what we care about. We care about costs. We're one of the low-cost states in the country, and that's good, but we're also a low-income state, so we have to be a low-cost state. That's what we focus on. And if to keep costs low, we take subsidies, we're going to take subsidies. If we pick wind or gas over coal, cost is king, and we're going to take care of ratepayers. That's that's what we're going to do. So we, we don't really look at those issues. It's what matters to Arkansas. Yeah, and there, there, that's, <clears throat> that's, that is a utility that is affiliated. It has... There's customers in Texas, Oklahoma, or Texas, Louisiana, and Arkansas. So in some ways, we're pooled with them because it's one company. And there's some financial interconnection between SWEPCO, which is wholly owned by AEP. And so we watch that in terms of you know, how you're allocating your debt. There's some stuff that's done uh, centrally, and there's some stuff that's controlled at the affiliate level. So we watch all of that as well. Well, and that's that's specifically part of what's driving my question is the information that I've been and I can show you several articles. I'm sure you're mm-hmm. aware of them. Uh, the New York comptroller by the name of DiNapoli, mm-hmm. who's running basically AEP from the shareholder point of view and telling mm-hmm. them we're going to completely follow the Paris Climate Accords, uh-huh. whether we like it or not, because uh-huh. we're going to push you with the shareholders. So yeah. we're just not taking those things into this conversation because it no. doesn't affect Arkansas ratepayers. No, but there is a risk uh, there is a risk, in my view, that is real in terms of carbon policy, and part of the benefit of this is it mitigates that risk. And I, I don't. But how do we know that wind is the way to go? Because frankly, what I've seen shows that wind is not financially feasible. Period. Without federal subsidies, whether it's SWEPCO or AEP or anybody else, so it, without federal that, subsidies, it is not a so, feasible so seemed, way. That's probably true without fracking are probably true with fracking, but without fracking, you know, these prices change. And what you say today, and these prices are coming down, the solar prices are coming down. These prices move, the engineering changes. They're getting better at producing more wind energy from, and and when people So even though it's not financially feasible today, you think the prices will change making it feasible? Well, well, I think think part of the issue is I think it it becomes feasible because the federal government is stealing from us and giving it back (laughs) in in, in these ways. And and it's a reality. I I, I despise it, but but it is a reality. I understand where Mm -hmm. he's coming from. I would rather the state of Arkansas say, y'all go jump in a lake somewhere. We're going to stop taking the subsidies. But the fact is that's probably not going to happen. That would – we still owe the money. They'll still tax us to pay it back. We're just, you know, saying, oh, we don't want any of the benefits. The, the important thing is, remember, all of these prices change. But I don't. It used to be a flat screen TV cost $4,800. Now they're 600 Technology improves and prices change. You can't lock in. The coal guys used to be the cheapest. And back then I was a coal guy. I'm whatever's the cheapest guy. And that's what we want in the mix to serve ratepayers. Right. And at some point, I think I think it's I, I could see it becoming feasible to use solar. But right now, the technology doesn't doesn't work mm-hmm. unless there's subsidies. If I understand it correctly, but I, I could see it being pretty stinking cool to use solar altogether. Well, with that said, let me come around to another story, if you don't mind, Chad. That uh, the buyback of energy that 
you produce yourself at your, like your mm-hmm. homestead or whatever. Mm-hmm. I see solar as not this whole corporate thing. Mm-hmm. I see it as an individual thing where mm-hmm. I put solar panels on my house mm-hmm. to make my hot water heater work and things mm-hmm. of that nature. But there's talk going on now where the power companies used to have to buy that power from you Mm -hmm. that they're looking to change that can you bring Mm -hmm. us up to date with that that's where i have to be more careful because that is still a pending issue okay again it comes down to the economics and what we want to do is make it where it's the economics that speak not the politics that we favored on the rooftop over the utility doing it we favor it big instead of little we want the economics to speak on that but i have to be careful on that there are other issues one side alleges that because you you generate your electric bill isn't just generation it's also transmission and distribution Mm -hmm. and when you you put the solar on the roof you get a retail credit that also zeroes out your transmission and distribution bill even though you're only providing generation now you use less transmission you less distribution uh, and then the other side says well, there's a benefits when you self-invest. There are benefits or other avoided benefits, and and those were the two sides are coming from. But that one is still pending, so I got to be a little so, more. Is it, is the problem because more people have moved towards solar to individually help their power bill? And, and not yet. What we're trying to do is get out in front of the problem. You have that problem in California where they had a mass migration. The, the, the way that well, they just made a law saying that you must have solar panels on your home yeah, now. Yeah, regardless of the economics. That's correct. I mean, what if we come up with a hydrogen technology that beats that? I mean, well, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, Ted. leftists don't <laughs> like saying. markets. And too many right politicians don't trust them enough. Mm-hmm. Let's let the market figure these things out. I mean, the reason we went from landlines to these cell phones was because markets, entrepreneurship, that's what works, not these these other things. That's the only reason I'm against this wind project because I believe that the markets will work itself out and whenever wind is cheaper – and whenever it is the most economical thing, if Bernie Sanders does get elected president, <laughs> God then uh, then the market will take care of itself at that point. Right. So, so what do we do right now? We don't have free markets. I, I can't just fire up a, my own coal-fired plant or my own wind, wind um, generator and sell power to my neighbors. But the government the, will come along and put me in jail. But the, we all have to have is 100% market or a 0% market or we sit here and bang our heads up against a rock is not how policy is done. What we need are more markets. There are degrees of all of this stuff. We need more markets, not less, but to say it's not perfect, so I don't want any of it. You know, all of that is that's Don Quixote. Wow, where Tilt have we heard that mill. from, huh? <laughs> where have we heard that? Elizabeth, where have you heard that from? Yeah. Comes from this side of the microphone. Yeah. We will take a break here, and then we'll come back and finish up with Ted Thomas. And I want to appreciate uh, tell him I appreciate him coming in because he knew that he wouldn't have a cheer squad here for him, probably. <laughs> but we appreciate that. Stay with us. We're going to be coming back here in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, final segment with uh, Ted Thomas, the Chairman, Public Service Commission. He has said during the break that he'd be happy to come back in the future and. Uh, at that point, I'll open the phones up, and we'll give people opportunity to call in and talk to you, Ted. Uh, I did have off of our Facebook Live uh, uh, broadcast today, someone came back with net metering. 
the issue where, uh, Ted, you were quoted as saying ratepayers' public comments don't count as much as others, and they don't understand that. Yes, that, that is based on the Arkansas Supreme Court's finding that the Public Service Commission has to make its ruling based on substantial evidence, and that is facts. They go through a discovery process. There's multiple rounds of testimony with opposing views. They're subject to cross-examination. Uh, public comments are, have value, but in the eyes of the Supreme Court, it, it, it's different. Those comments aren't subject to cross-examination. They're not subject to discovery. The, the rules are based on, on and, and these are constitutional rules. I mean, we direct the utilities to make investments. You know, we compensate them the same way that you'd get compensated if the highway department took your land. Mm-hmm. So there are constitutional issues in terms of the quality of evidence, and, and that's that's legal rulings. That's not a personal opinion, and I'm going to take this word, and I'm not going to take those words. That That's what we're required to follow the law. We have to follow those kinds of rules. Well, that makes me feel better because the way it was presented in the article— Mm-hmm. I think it was Demgas, wasn't it? Uh, it KUAR, I think. KUAR, okay. That you just didn't like the ratepayers' arguments, and that yeah. you know it makes me wonder: yeah. Does he even read them? You well, know, we, you know we read saying? them all. In fact, with Windcatcher, I responded to. You know, I can't talk about this, but here's a website. All all of this is on the web. It's publicly available. Twenty years from now, they'll be able to call up that wind capture decision, mm-hmm. and you can send me a dunce hat if it's wrong. <laughs> I'm I'm the accountable party. Me and my two commission colleagues. Right. But that's why we got to get it right. We got to consider everything because the last thing I want to do is, is wear a dunce hat. Rate fa- yeah, <laughs> wear a dunce hat or punch rate pairs in, in the face. Right. Because I make a crappy decision, and it's public record, and I'm the responsible party. And, right. and to do that, I mean, it's a hearing. It's not governed by the rules of evidence, but there are other rules. There, there are Supreme Court rules in terms of how you review it. But we take the public comments very seriously. In an energy case, we had public comments regarding quality of service in Hot Springs Village, and we put in the order. You know, talk to those people and work it out. But we don't have an electronic vote. We don't say, well, here's your gas price forecast, and here's the other gas price. You know, let's Facebook and see which gas price forecast we're going to go with. We're not okay. going to do that. I mean, the people there, you know, they're experts. And they're not just one expert. They're experts conflicting, and they have to respond to questions from each other. That's how we get to the truth. And it's a, at a more detailed level than everybody but utility geeks are. But that doesn't mean we don't care about the comments and appreciate public participation. We are out of time. Ted, we appreciate you. Ted Thomas, our guest, Chairman, Public Service Commission. He'll be back in the future, but right now we'll let him get out of the hot seat and go do whatever he wants to do. Thank you, Ted. Thanks, sir. Thanks for having me. We've got uh, news coming up. All right, back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. That last hour was a good hour. Got a lot of information I got to sit down and uh, go through it myself again and, and see what I like and what I don't. Uh, we all don't like government subsidies. The bottom line is that is the way the world is running anymore, right. and you almost have to just put up with it. I understand his perspective. It's, it's just that one at some point, 
when are we going to say that, you know what, yes, this would be a good deal for us to take this free handout from the federal government? That it's was, never going to happen, Paul. I, I understand. <laughs> and, that, and that's part of the problem is that, that there's not enough of us who are willing to say, yes, this would be a good deal for me to take from my neighbors, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And at some point, we have to do that because, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a nice, sweet deal. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Money. You want to know when it's going to happen? When the economy implodes. I, I think you're Chad probably right on some level. That's when, it, that's when it's going to happen. I, because look, I've been – these these – the, the senators and the congressmen and women are not stupid, all right? They can see the figures that you and I can see mm-hmm. and that RD sees and Elizabeth sees and other people see, and we can all see this is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to do anything that will cause them to lose their gig. Right. Right. We're going no, to stay with it, and it's going to implode, and then we're all going to pay the price. Right. I, I understand where they're coming from. But unfortunately, I can still stand up here and preach and say, look, you know. You, well, I agree. I, I wish. I wish. I wish. I've been, I've been doing would, it for like right, 40 years. Right, right. Okay? I mean, we, but at, at some point, though, we got to tell them, look, if it means that we've got to pay a little more, let's do this right. Well, look, well, R.D. said during during a time people couldn't hear, during a break in here, we're talking about 911. We need a good 911 system here in the state. To do that, you're going to need some money. I've been willing in my lifetime to spend on a, a tax if I know it's going to be applied to something that's going to be, benefit everybody. That's what this country's always been founded on. However... Washington and state governments have gone so freaking out of their minds with spending that we're all to the point we feel tapped out. Right. Well, it's at some point. And even if it's a good idea, we well, say, hell no. Right. At some point, you look at it, you know, there's flowers in the median, but we can't, we, we can't fund the things that are basic, fundamental, proper role of government. Because nobody will cut those programs. Right. And that's, we're stupid. And so at the end of the day, well, we need money for police because kids are getting murdered in the streets. Well, stop spending money on flower beds. Yeah, I, they've got you've got to have a good crisis before you can raise taxes. <laughs> you've got to have a good crisis. So, you know, it's, there's always money for the top ten. There, there's supposed to be money mm-hmm. for the top ten. But what Dave says, even though that uh, that we have a formula that needs changed at the state on the nine the nine one one through the Arkansas Emergency Telecommunications. So we need a formula changed, but it would be very unpopular to go in and do that because it would cost to raise a tax on your cell phone yeah, bill. Well, well how do you just... think it would work, Paul? Seriously, yeah. let's say that I'm a state legislator. I can put together you know, uh, bills that to uh, get my other legislators to go along with me that we could fund some things. Let's say we took, uh, we say all we need is a quarter cent on every cell phone, mm-hmm. and we'll have enough money to run statewide a 911 uh, system that when I'm sitting at home and having a heart attack and I call 911, it goes to the ambulance or the fire or to whoever talks to me and they can get somebody to me to fix to help me and do it quickly instead of calling them and being passed around to three different people so you don't have to call a taxi to get there faster (laughs) problem is 
is I make the, the same argument I had. Quarter of a cent doesn't sound like much. Makes a lot of money though, mm-hmm. and you got to convince the 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 taxpayer that they want to pay another quarter of a cent because they keep turning around every every day, and somebody wants one percent. Right. I mean, the Cabot right. school system wants. How many more mills? And this person yeah, over here wants that. Mills, and the county wants uh, another uh, tax. Yeah, another, another 1%. And so it, it gets somewhere, lost in the mix. Yeah, somewhere, you know, the taxpayer is saying, crap on this, man. Every time I turn right. around, you guys got your hands out. Right, right. And so they're wasting money on bike trails and parks and all these other garbage programs that are recreational and, and, and luxury items. And yet, you know, I think maybe nine one one kind of qualifies on the on, on the in the in the realm of maybe the proper role of government because it is kind of a security thing. We're keeping people safe and you know and upholding people's rights. Yet we've got plenty of funding for these silly looking extra architectural designs on bridges and mm-hmm. wasting That's money, free money on, on things like that. <laughs> That's from the but, government. But, but, we, but we can't... The it, federal government, that's but, not your money. Uh, it's free money. It's fake money, whatever it is. But we can't actually do things that are actually closer to being the proper role of government. What is wrong with people? Why would we keep giving them more money if we know from past experience that they're just going to waste it? It's about votes. A lot of times it comes down to a, a vote. Right. And, I'm and so. how does it make us look? And and uh, But... Sadly enough, people are saying, like Dave says, whenever you come up, uh, you know we can we can come up with enough money to pay our five percent of a nine point five billion dollar, you know, healthcare project for people that don't work, but we can't address, you know, making somebody mad about mm-hmm. changing the rates to, so we can have a nine one one call center. So uh, they have, a, but they did have a blue ribbon commission and studied it for the last ten years. So mm-hmm. it's been studied to death. Yeah. The only thing is, is after the study, you know, they decided that it wasn't in the priority list. It's not in the top ten, and we know there's things in the top ten that has absolutely nothing with the role of government. So just like Dave says, our priorities are mixed up. At some t- at some point, everybody just says enough is enough. And everybody, for whatever reason, thinks whatever they're asking for is the most important thing. And it's not. It, it just isn't. And those people have to come, you know, pull in the reins on right. things we, like we do. That. And at some point, we've got to tell them, look, if you want to park, get your friends together and build it yourself. I'm sorry. That's just not your – it's not my job to help you do that. In, in, in the meantime, when, when we're – wasting money on these things and we're not doing the proper things what is government here for well um i've come to the realization that i'm never going to convince people that we that we shouldn't rob from other programs to fund other programs uh look they robbed from the transportation side to help the railroads to, uh, to help build bicycle trails, mm-hmm. hiking trails, and all kinds of things. Here's what I say. Well, right now, we, we're having an argument in Washington, D.C. about raising the gas tax again so they'll have enough money. I say this. Why don't we make sure that the money that comes out of the gas tax goes to the highways and whatever, and if you take care of the highways and you got money left over, 
then give it to the states and let them use it as they choose. That's right. You remember the guy that called in for Trump? I mean, let's just be we'll be fair. We had a guy come call him on behalf of Trump for the new f- highway funding they put in this last uh, oh, federal infa- spend- infrastructure. infrastructure. Yep. But, hey, you can call it infrastructure or you can call it a jobs creation bill or whatever. But the guy that called in was from the association that represents concrete companies, (laughs) equipment selling companies. And he says, we said, why do we need to to raise taxes or why do we need more federal money for this? And and he says, well, we haven't raised it in so long. We just need to go ahead and enter. It's been a long time since we raised it, so we need to raise it. Then we come to find out he's for the people that is getting the money. He's from mm-hmm. the concrete and, and the pavement and the and the equipment. A little places. bit of a conflict of interest there, isn't it? I would think. You know, you know, I would you know think it's kind so. of maddening down at the Capitol. I'm I'm down there a lot, and a lot of times it seems like the people who want to come down and testify on bills and whatever else, it seems like they give more credence to those who have a personal stake at benefiting from these laws than they do those of us who actually want to speak about the principle of stop stealing from people. Okay, last statement on this, R.D. It goes to you. Well, whenever it comes down to it and they refer to the ADEQ or they refer to it, a lot of times it's big businesses that has the infrastructure to deal with new programs and new policies that are always pushing more of them because it puts the little businesses out of business and cuts their competition. All right. We've got to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about Justice Courtney Goodson's lawsuit against the black money <laughs> that's out there being spent during during the election it sounds time. like the lawsuit is well, worked. You know, i love that russ is looking at me yeah, you idiot <laughs> dude if you're gonna do it do it right there you go yeah he uses he'll use his evil voice but the bottom line we're going to talk uh, we're going to talk about that right now i want to talk to rd i want to talk to him about sunny's and Sunny's Auto Salvage, and I used them again here just recently. I had another, I had not another, I had an engine put into my 2009 Corolla. It's running fanta- fantastic. What was it, a coil that went out in it? Yeah, you had an electronic problem with with a coil yeah. that wasn't really related to the engine, but we got it taken care of. Yeah, it's running like a, like a charm now. Explain to the listeners how this all works. Uh, rd when i let's just use me i called in i said rd i need an engine for a 2009 corolla what do you do next we have computer software that has interchange built into it so we put in the year make and model of the car that you have and it assigns a part number to it and that part number checks our inventory against to see if we've got one of them and then after it checks our inventory then i have trading partners that uh that uh that i trade with on a regular basis that i trust so i check their inventory and uh so i check my inventory and five thousand five thousand other trading partners that i have so we can find just about anything but what we do uh is buy late model wreck cars that still had a lot of life left in them and we assign part numbers to the parts on those cars and put them in our system so uh, we match up the part numbers find something that'll work for you and get you a unsubsidized recycled part. That's exactly what you got, man, and it's working really, really uh, well. Uh, just let everybody know. So the way you uh, access all of this uh, from RD and Sunny's Auto Salvage is to call 982-7451. 982-7451. 
I uh, got the three-year uh, warranty on the engine, parts and labor, and unlimited mileage. I did the same thing when we put in the transmission. And bottom line, I spent a little over $4,000 on both of those parts, labor included, uh, tax included, and warranties included, and saved myself a whole lot of money. And over the next three years, don't have to worry about anything. We've been there since 1976, taking care of our customers, and we're going to be there in the future. So uh, we offer an alternative to big dealer prices and and, uh, rebuilt parts. So uh, just because your repair shop or your dealer says that you're going to, you have a very expensive repair, Call Sunnies will give you another option. Yep. Take it from RD. Take it from me because I've used uh, Sunnies Auto Salvage now many times. 9827451. At Sonny's Auto Salvage. All right, so a big, big news story on the front page of the Demgaz today. And I'm really blown away by this. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Courtney Goodson has brought a lawsuit against a couple of uh, groups that have been running ads here in Arkansas about the Supreme Court uh, candidates and... uh, Let's just put it this way. The Supreme Court Justice Courtney Goodson is not on the good side of these two uh, organizations. Here's what I got problems with. He goes up in front of a judge, and the judge, without knowing is it true, is it false, uh, blah, 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 makes a, 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 a ruling. A temporary ruling restraining and order. A, yeah, temporary restraining order and stops the people from playing the ads. That's and given pretty, the fact that the election's a week from now, that that's pretty much she gets her way, whichever way the lawsuit comes that's out. That's correct, because it won't be taken care of in that time. If she loses, uh, we still lose. That's right. All right, if she wins, we still kind of lose, as far well, as I'm and, concerned. And, and I understand kind of where she's coming from, because it, if they truly are lies, then, then I think they need to Proved be stopped. that they're Is not. That, that they need to be. I mean, That's all true, I say. Right. Prove that the, 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 the trip. Going, they need. I think the court needs to be up twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, until they figure this out and figure it out now. Well, it would seem Paul. to me that she should be able to prove that to the judge. She's saying it's not factual. She should have the facts when she stands before the judge to say, "See, it's a bald faced lie." Well, that would be. I would hope and and Hopefully assume what she did in the on initial level, pleading, it would give those. Fi- but Paul. You're you're saying the courts should turn themselves upside down because Absolutely. she filed this within a week if of the election. If they're, if they're going to actually, she's known if, if all along that she didn't like what they were yeah, doing. I mean, she should have filed just the brought lawsuit. It up a week she can't prior. expect the Supreme Court to right. jump through hoops that, because that, she waited until a week before no, the election. No, no, no. My point is, if they're going to file a restraining order and stop the ads, they need to be up 24 hours a day, seven days a week, until they until they figure it out. Because in the meantime, the time is of the essence in an election like this because it's. It, it's upon us. But, but every what, person who had a problem with an election would wait until the week before and have the court issue a temporary restraining order, and every single lawsuit that's filed would go the way they want it to go if they did it that way. Now, here, here's but, the but thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, the thing is, we also need we also need some some type of accountability for this because if it if it truly is if there truly is no truth to Courtney Goodson's claims about it about them being false accusations, then she needs to go to jail, I think. Well, and the judge should not have issued a temporary restraining order if there's absolutely no proof. That's, uh, that's I, my I point, because if there's proof, it should be it should be being shown 
to the voters. Right. And, and this it, is the reason and, I did this. And if the, and if the judge actually issued the restraining order without um, any evidence, substantial evidence to, to to those effects, then I think he needs to be arrested and go to jail because he's 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 substantially affecting an election. I think. The bottom bottom line, though, that, that I wanted to state real quickly is I don't I read these articles about this, and there was a a, a paper called I think the Sentinel uh, that had a an article about this as well, and it, I think it was the last sentence in, in the article, and it said. It was uh, was the American was it Republican Republican Americans or something blah 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 was the name of the group and it said that uh, they had spent two hundred thousand dollars promoting uh, David Sterling. Now here's my answer to that: David Sterling has no say in what that group says or doesn't say. That's right. That's up to that group and the way they spend their money. And he's made that statement. But the way the papers at times report it, it kind of smears on some David levels, Sterling. Because, you know, if, if I decided to run fifty thousand dollars worth of ads telling people that you know David Sterling can walk on water, it may be may be true, it may be not. You know, he can probably walk on water if it's frozen. But the, the fact is that he he can't come and say, Paul, you got to stop running these ads because they're not true. No, because at that point he's having an effect on you, and he's not allowed to talk to you to run the ads. Or to not run the he, ads. He might be able to, to tell me to stop her. No, he can't. So, he cannot have but, any kind you know, of uh, give and take with you at all. None. How about the Constitution is freedom of speech? Does that weigh in on any well, of this I stuff? I would think the First Amendment would, would weigh in, but uh, when I see what's happening in college campuses and everything else, <laughs> evidently not. I, it must have went out a long time ago. Uh, there's always accusations on yes, both sides are. of any line, campaign. Yeah. There's always accusations. Are you? Is it the court's job to come in and to stop and to pick a side? And when they pick a side and stop the other one from putting out, it the is information? if you like court and your goods. Well, see, this is, oh, this okay. is what I'm getting at. I'm looking at the article, trying to figure out. Okay, she doesn't like the ads. That's clear. Oh. She's filed. But what are her damages? What is she saying is wrong that well, needs that, to be corrected? It's really kind of hard to find in if here. It, if they truly are false accusations, then I understand where she's coming from, and I think it may be an appropriate thing for the court to do. But 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 if the, if, if the accusations are true, because the thing is, just look at look at um, if um, if you were running for office and some and some woman came out and said, well, he, he raped me seventeen times three years ago. I, I think it probably is, seconds. is acceptable for the courts to make her stop saying that if it isn't true. Yeah, but a week before, there's no time to hear the evidence or make a decision. Uh, well, people have to, I tell you what, you have to have equity and you have to have a track record, okay. and the people can pick who they want to believe. All right, uh, five seconds. That means we got news coming your way. SRN, Salem Radio Network, has it for you. I'm Dave Ellswick. Power Panel's back in a moment. Back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Good discussion going on here dealing with, <laughs> you know, uh, the whole thing about uh, Goodson, Goodson and and uh, what's going on here. All right. We want to get back to uh, more subjects. We've got a couple more to talk about. But wanted to remind you the Safari Pets at 808 West Main in Cabot is ready to help you, whether you've got a dog, a cat, or some kind of uh, – you know, extreme pet, as I like to say, like a tarantula or a, a bearded lizard or gecko or a 
I don't know. Maybe sugar, a um, scorpion. Yeah, scorpion. That, that that's another sugar one. Gliders. I mean, people yeah, have sugar squirrels. gliders. A lot of people like those sugar gliders. Yeah, a lot of people. But uh, they've got all those uh, all those animals over at Safari Pets. Tell you what else they have. They've got people on the floor right there that answer all your questions. They'll let your kids handle the animals if they'd like to. You know, they can handle a ferret, see what it's like. That helps uh, Safari Pets because it gets the animals used to being handled by humans, and it helps the kids not be afraid of the animals. Stop by and visit them. They're the largest independent pet store in Arkansas. Safari Pets, 808 West Main in Cabot. By the way, their phone number is 628-0067. Let me tell you how big things have changed uh, over the last, I want to say, 10 years or so. Uh, maybe 15 used to be uh, to be honest with you that um, you look at somebody like Clark Tucker who's running against uh, French Hill uh, because he, uh, well he's not running yet yeah, he's, 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 he's in the primary hoping to run the there's Spencer and him and was it Dunkey or whatever Dun- his name? I think Dunkel and then, and then Dunk- there's a lady or something there's like a that. lady involved Quinn in, Coombs. okay yeah. in, involved in this all right so one of them is going to run against uh, uh, French Hill Here, here's what's interesting is that you hear people say well Spencer's like the crazy one you know he's he's nuts he's way way to the left you know he's way to the left same thing with the other folks uh, Tucker is the moderate, you know, and I'm just telling you, if you took Clark Tucker and looked at a lot of the issues and had talked to him 10 years ago, people would have looked at Tucker and said, he don't have a chance, <laughs> not with thoughts like that, you know, that he's got out there. But there was, was it in the, the Demgaz yesterday, perhaps, that they were talking? I think it was. I think it was in an editorial. Uh, that uh, they were talking about uh, Tucker and, uh, you know, talking about things about him. And uh, then the story was saying that, well, the story was on, was in another paper, I take that back, saying that the lefty Democrats, the really leftist Democrats, they're all lefties, all right? They don't want him because he's too moderate. Because he's too moderate, and they say, that the Democratic Party is running these moderates because they think they got a better chance at beating the Trump candidates because they're moderate, and that people like Spencer and stuff uh, would be the better candidates, and it's the way that the Democrat Party feels, which should tell you, by all means, don't vote for any of them. <laughs> don't vote for any of them. You put Tucker in there. He What's has- going to happen? He's going to go to Washington D.C. and he's going to vote just the way. The uh, you know the the leadership tells him to vote. Well, he has mo- one of the most liberal voting records in the Arkansas yes. legislature. Uh, people calling him moderate. Well, they're calling. What are they measuring it against? <laughs> there you go. Well, All they're right, you're measuring it against-, against Spencer, who believes in a universal. You know uh, everything. Thing. I mean, <laughs> well, uh, uh, Medicare I, for everyone. I've seen yeah. his ad. I've seen it, I've seen his billboard. <clears throat> Medicare for everyone. No. And he's also the one last week that breaks with the rest of the Democrat 
uh, group there and not necessarily in support of medical marijuana said he just inhaled wasn't that what you were just no saying? no that, that well that was um oh you mean um, <laughs> yeah no that's Tucker who, himself that's so Clark he, Tucker, I, I, yeah. I think he's okay with the idea of medical marijuana oh, I think okay. just with with the question he's itself, just not going to answer it on well his I mean is, is he going to is he going to admit to committing a crime <laughs> but um and so the 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 thing is so that and I actually I went to the Democrat debate a couple two three four weeks ago whenever it was and um. I spoke with Paul Spencer. Is that a name, Spencer? Yeah. For he's, well, if you want to go see him, he's right minutes. over here next to us at really? Catholic Boys oh, High really? School. So, so I spoke yep. with him a little while, and and um, yeah, he's. I, I think he's pretty far out there. I, 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 I you think? He he was with Mr. Well, Griffin out there my, during that during that protest they did over the death penalty things. By really? the way, so well, yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I didn't get a good feeling about what his actual principles are. Um, he kind of seemed a bit pragmatic, which. Which in in that particular party, being pragmatic would be pretty far left, and so, and then then the other char- characters, <laughs> um, Dunklin, I think I think is is he's he's pretty um, how we say this? I say it. He's, he's I think too far out to have any chance to be elected, and and then, even of on the left base, you know, by the yeah, leftist base. <laughs> well, no, I, I think because you're going to have to be a lot more moderate than than Dunklin is. He's his his appearance is is kind of crazy and and kind of silly almost from 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 my perspective. And I, I think voters would say this, there's no way this guy's getting elected. Whereas does I, he I, look like the professor from Back to the Future? Dunklin's a ba- a black guy, uh-huh. and he's he's a pretty good sized fella. Got braid, pretty long braids. Probably come. He's down the one past with the shoulders. dreadlocks. Right, right. Yeah, he's right. dreadlocks. Okay. Um, Nothing wrong with that. No, no, no. I don't no, see no, that no, just being he's a, radical. No, he doesn't look. He doesn't look. But um, but you're right. There are some voters that would right, be a problem. Right. That would that would. No, I think he's he's too um, radical looking from that perspective um, for for to to have a chance of you know, being elected. So I think I think truly Clark Tucker <laughs> is the only is the only person who's got got really a, a shot at all. Of beating um, French Hill, you haven't said anything about the lady, and, and I, I didn't speak with her very much. If, if I spoke with her at all, is she a former school. I, she's current. She's a school she's board a member. Current, or like she's that? a current school teacher. I don't think she has a chance at all. I, 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 I bet she doesn't get five percent of the vote. Does she, but she does. Is know. it because she's so radical? Is that why? No, I, I just don't think she's a serious candidate. Okay. Of course, mm-hmm. then when you look at the latest fundraising campaign reports that were filed. Mr. Hill beat Mr. Tucker all over the place in the last quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yes, so different my, levels of socialism. My big, my yeah, you know, my biggest question is about Spencer. Is why would the parents of the students over at Catholic Boys School High School yeah, would want somebody it? this radical teaching their kids? Um, I've wondered about that. I, I mean, know. seriously, if I, if, I don't know what subject he teaches. Uh, but the bottom line is, uh, with, I think you should pay attention to what he's teaching your kids in class, because he's when he's saying Medicare for all, and you know Socialism. he's uh, you know you well, want a you want a universal uh, you know money being paid to everybody and whatever. I don't know if I want that person you know, well, talking to my kids. Well, you're assuming that the parents are conservative. And, uh, you know, I talked to a, a, a Republican senator, senator one time, and I said, listen, I, have to th- I happen to think the majority of the people in your district are not for everybody getting health insurance, free health insurance, no matter what. And I don't think that, that the people in your district wants uh, all this free money coming in and us being more dependent on the federal government. And I think that 
that they think that people should have to work for a living to, to get things that they don't deserve everything for free. And he and says, what did he say? He said, R.D., he said, they may say that to you, but when it comes when it comes down to uh, the brass tacks, the, they want the all handouts. the free stuff that they can get. He said, uh, they may say that up front, but he says, when it comes down to vote, you look around the neighborhood and you look at the swimming pool or you look at the park or you mm-hmm. look at the the workout center that's that everybody can go out he says they say one thing but he says they may not be as conservative or or as small government as you think they are if or you even, just look around a little or bit or even as they think they are right as they right, think they are so what, what do you I, i've had people irritated by me sometimes because i'll i'll talk about how how socialism is bad and then i point to a particular socialist program and they're like i'm not a socialist you just called me a socialist and like well, you supported a program that is socialism. I mean, I didn't call you that. I, couldn't, you, I put the shoe out there. You stuck your foot in it. I, I couldn't. That's like somebody saying, well, you called you call me a liar. I said, no, no. If you read this right here. <laughs> you confessed yeah, to it. Yeah, if you, if you read this right here, <laughs> just read it to yourself. This is, this is right. you talking right here. So I couldn't argue with the senator that I was talking to and – and I didn't right. disrespect him or anything. I said, you know, sometimes the proof's in the action. So right. I may think that maybe Clark Tucker's message is not as radical. It's radical to me and you, mm-hmm. but it may not be. Oh, ra- I agree with it you. It may not be as radical but to other people. You've as heard we me think say that, be. haven't you? Yeah, I mean, that's I've right. said, you know, we we don't think the people want this. But if that's the case, why do the people keep, want it? Keep electing people. But, <laughs> but, 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 but from my from my pers- from my impression, just seeing the the four candidates there at the debate, I, I think Clark Tucker portrayed himself as the most moderate of them all, and and I think that's probably prudent that's what, that's, on his that's part. That's what I was saying. Strategically prudent. How, how do you measure the moderation? You you're going to measure it against those other three people. Mm-hmm. Makes him look because. You know, if you got nut jobs there and he acts like he's sane, then he's going to look like a moderate. Clark Tucker is a very professional politician. I know. We've had him he's on. He's very right? professional. I mean, when he goes up against somebody that's not a professional politician, he is smooth. Right. He seems very ethical, and he can state his position very clearly. Because he's a he's, lawyer. He's very good at straddling the fence. You know, he could say, you know what? My best interest is whatever the interest is of the people of Arkansas. <laughs> I will be able to reach across the aisle and work with anybody that is willing to do what's best for the people in the state of Arkansas and do that very convincing and very smoothly to where everybody thinks that, hey, this guy will be able to work with Republicans and Democrats just as long as we increase socialism and get everybody all the free and, stuff that and, they and, want. And as history so shows, it seems, very like the, good. seems like the Republicans so, will, will accommodate him on that on some I, level. If you look at Clark Tucker, he looks like a very young Bill Clinton and well, he's very smooth. He's very polished. He's a good-looking young professional man. Professional politician. And, and he's very professional. So I say, watch out for Clark well, Tucker. They ran him through a car wash <laughs> before they brought well, him. Well, he, 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 oh, he cleans I, up really well. I, I don't think he's as, as smooth as Clinton was, but but I think he's he's smoother than any other Democrat running that race right now. I think. Right. All right, a break, and when we come back, I want to read something that George McGovern said when he was a senator, and then he left the Senate. And he became a businessman. Made him think different. We'll talk Hmm. about it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You know, I got an article here uh, from back in June 1st, 1992. I got to thank uh, uh, Charlie Collins 
uh, that he posted this, and I was able to get a copy of it. But uh, it was written in 1988. George McGovern left the Senate in 1981. And uh, here's what he had to say. In 88, I invested most of the earnings from my lecture circuit acquiring the leaseholds on Connecticut's Stratford End. Hotels, inns, and restaurants always had a special fascination for me. Uh, So he wanted to own it. He said, in retrospect, I wish I had known more about the hazards and difficulties of such a business especially during a recession of the kind that hit New England just as I was acquiring the inn's 43-year leasehold. I also wish that during the years I was in public office, I had had this firsthand experience about the difficulties business people face every day. That knowledge would have made me a better U.S. senator and a more understanding presidential contender. Uh, Today, we're much closer to a general acknowledgement that government must encourage businesses to expand and grow. Bill Clinton, Paul Zonga, Bob Kerry, and others have, I believe, changed the debate of our party. Now, when I look at those names, and he's saying these names as, look at these conservative guys. Again, I say, look at who they're, you know, being shown to be conservative to. McGovern was nowhere near a uh, conservative who's measuring my own business perspective has been limited to that small hotel and restaurant in Stratford, connecticut with an especially difficult lease and a severe recession but my business associates and i also lived with federal state and local rules that were all passed with the objective of helping employees protecting the environment raising tax dollars for schools protecting our customers from fire hazards, etc. While I'll never have doubted the worthiness of any of those goals, the concept that most often eludes legislators is, and I, I can watch, 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 R.D., I'm going to read this. Dramatic pause. Can we make consumers pay the higher prices for the increased operating costs that accompany public regulation and government reporting requirements with reams of red tape? It is a simple concern that is nonetheless often ignored by legislators. For example, the papers today are filled with stories about businesses dropping health coverage for employees. 1988, folks. Mm -hmm. We uh, provided a substantial package for our staff at the Stratford Inn. However, while we operating today, those costs would exceed $150,000 a year for health care on top of salaries and other benefits. There would have been no reasonable way for us to absorb or pass on those costs. The bottom line in this whole story, and I'm going to ask uh, uh, Elizabeth to post it so you can read it, is that he understood that all those laws and regulations that he passed had a direct impact on businesses every day. And he didn't understand that until he got into business. Well, Why did he not understand that? I'm sorry. He had no idea. He, he never owned a business. You've got to own a business before so you can understand the well, struggles. And half of our politicians are, are attorneys. You're going to love this. Here you go. Are you ready? You ready for this? In short, one-size-fits-all rules for business 
ignore the reality of the marketplace and setting thresholds for regulatory guidelines at artificial levels, 50 employees or more, $500,000 in sales, takes no account of other realities such as profit margins, labor-intensive versus capital-intensive businesses, and local market economics. The problem we face as legislators is, and if you're a legislator, listen closely. Where do we set the bar so that it is not too high to clear? It's called don't set a bar. I don't have the answer. I do know that we need to start raising these questions more often. Bottom line, Mr. McGovern, if he didn't have the answer, knew there was no answer to that question. Well, I I think one of the problems is we've we've got people that that go to universities and other other places, and they learn their so-called principles, and they're not principles. They're not reality and so you've actually – it makes them worse than if they had no knowledge whatsoever, I think. And so because you can, you can ask someone who who's doesn't consider themselves an expert out in the real world, and, and I think you might, you might actually find that, that you know, they can actually reason about these things. But sometimes you get these people that are so-called elites in the field, and they don't have any actual real-world real world experience. And, and, and their, their education has actually gone – taken them awry. And they're just, they're just not – their, their education has caused a negative as far as their knowledge goes. Yeah, it also says in that article that he ended up declaring bankruptcy. <laughs> he yep. ended up declaring bankruptcy because of all the government regulations. But legislatures need to listen to small businesses and the people that employ people every day. When they get up there in the committee and they're deciding if they're going to put something on the floor, they listen more to the Colleges, the superintendents, the ADEQ, all the educated people that know so much more than the business owners, they put the business owners out of business because the they don't know what And then they wonder is. why there's not enough jobs for everybody, Artie. Yeah, they're going to tax us some more so we can bribe businesses to come in with our taxpayers' money to, <laughs> r- to subsidize businesses that are not profitable. We're out of time. Too bad. Too bad. Power, power <laughs> panel. You guys did good today. Elizabeth, R.D., Paul, thank you all for My being pleasure. here. We'll see you again uh, next week. And the Bible guys are up next here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 823-0965 for your uh, calls, or Guys at SalemLR.com. Sit down, Scott. <laughs> Steve, because he doesn't have a Twitter account, can't dance. <laughs> All right, back with you. The Bible guys are here. 823-0965 is uh, our number. And I got to tell you, after what we saw happen yesterday, mm. uh, prophetically, a lot occurred. I believe that. All right. Mm. So now you have an opportunity, if you want to talk about prophecy, things to come, you should have some questions mm-hmm. today. Uh I've had people that are happy about what happened yesterday, mm-hmm. and people from a they think from a biblical standpoint are not happy mm. about what happened yesterday. So Scott and Steve are here to answer those questions today, or try to answer those. So if you have a question, eight two three zero nine six five. So let me just start this off by looking at you, Scott, and tell us why yesterday was so big. Yesterday was big for for the United States in the sense that they've actually now aligned themselves with the words of God that declares that Israel, or that rather Jerusalem, should be God's chosen 
city. We have to remember that God chose this city not just during the time of David when it was a Jebusite encampment, but he actually chose this place during the time of Abraham. Because uh, when God sent Abraham with Isaac into the city of Jerusalem, he sent him to Mount Moriah, which is the mountain that holds uh, the city of Jerusalem, along with a lot of the other mountain ranges that, that are there. And so it, is, it was a recognition on our part um, to the uh, validity of the Scripture and God's selection of Jerusalem as the center of the uh, the Jewish nation. This is um, God had already made the decision that Jerusalem was important, and so from that side of it, it, it was a settled issue. But as far as the the family of nations for the United States to do this um, was, I think actually, I think it's one of the only times in world history where something like this has happened that we that, that the United States has recognized. Um, I mean, throughout. I mean, even throughout the Bible, I don't think there was ever a time where a nation said we recognize Jerusalem as the mm-hmm. the, ta- the capital of the Jewish people. So I think this was, this is the first. I think this in time. Well, we we've recognized, but never uh, validity put validity to it. Right. I mean, it's been sitting there. Uh, Clinton, mm-hmm. Bush, mm-hmm. Obama, yeah, all did. It was not until Trump mm-hmm. that. We did anything, right? And now that we've done it, now it's been uh, you know the validity that uh, Jerusalem is what it's been said that yeah. it is. Now I wouldn't make this statement. Our as uh, what we did as a nation, our doing this um, did not make Jerusalem the capital of the Jewish people. It okay. has always been the capital of the Jewish well, people. That's because, what Trump said. Yeah, because God because God declared in His Word, and now we are echoing what God said now. And when you start putting yourself in alignment with what God said, you can you have positioned yourself for great blessing. We've had a lot of mess happen, you know, during the Obama years when it relates to how Israel was treated, and we have certainly started digging up those bad seeds and planting some very good ones since uh, this administration stepped into play. This is, um, well, just echo what Scott was saying is this is enormous because this is God's city. God has established it, and we just acknowledged it with the re- as you said, the rest of the politicians. We're just afraid to do so. So um, whether, I mean, there are some people that saying it was prophetic or certain prophetic fulfillments. I'm not going to go that far, but what it is doing is confirming what we already know to be true. Uh, and this is what people have kind of not talked about when they start talking about the Middle East peace process, if you will, um, is Jerusalem. And that is Netanyahu and every prime minister prior to him has said this is without debate. This is without discussion. So by Trump doing this, he's actually telling the rest of the Arab world there is there is no discussion here about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital of Jerusalem, and now we can start having discussion about the peace process as long as you know this going into it. Did you know that in the Quran, the Quran says that Jerusalem is a Jewish city? Really doesn't. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. All right. I told you there were some people who disagreed that this was a great day. Mm-hmm. One of those was Roman, one of my listeners, and okay. he has contacted us. I told him yesterday I couldn't answer his questions. Mm-hmm. It was more uh, he should call you guys and, and discuss this with you. So are you ready? Yes, sir. All right, they're ready to go. Hey, Roman, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show, and the Bible guys are looking forward to your your statements and your questions. Well, I'm grateful uh, for the Bible guys. I'm grateful that they are brothers in Christ, and they make every attempt to rightly divide. I believe in listening to them that they have studied to show themselves approved. 
And that admonition is to all of us, all Amen. believers Amen. should be studying. All believers should be observers, and not merely observers, but forensic observers, mm-hmm. simply because it's so easy to uh, lose context, mm-hmm. uh, fail to harmonize the complete Word of God. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing, the reason why I'm feeling sad in one sense of this is because 30 years ago when I became a believer, and for whatever reason the Spirit lit the fuse on my desire to study, I've always wondered how it is that in Romans 11, of course, the the first thing I would like to throw out there to you real quick is that when Jacob, in Genesis 32, verse 38, I try to be as pointed and brief as possible to not rob any other time, but and he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, mm-hmm. for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. I think that one thing that we do as believers is fail to consider the genealogical nature of this book we call the Bible, mm-hmm. and how fortunate we are that in Christ's love for all men, that when he came unto his own, the Jews, and they rejected him, that he did what he, he, he set in order, the Gentile age. That's the time period that we live in. Do you agree with me thus far? No, I do not. You do not believe that we're in the Gentile age? No, sir. Age of the Gent? No. Really? No, no, I don't. I don't see, I don't see it in that, uh, in that fashion. Uh, I, I think that when we say things such as, um, um, when he came to his own, his own received him not. I think that we have to qualify that in that the reference being made there is re- referring to the leadership of the Jewish people, not the Jewish people as a whole. We have to remember that Jesus had tens of thousands of people that were following him. And uh, who were those tens of thousands of people? They weren't Greeks or Gentiles. These tens of thousands of people that were oh, following were him Jews. were all Jews, correct. Yes, and so exactly. those who those who did not receive him were the, the leadership. That's why the leadership took him by night in a kangaroo court to yes. make judgment because they were afraid of the people. And you and you yes. know the scripture that says that we better stop him, otherwise everyone will believe in him. And, and to our best historical records, at the end of the first century, approximately 80% of the city of Jerusalem were followers of the Messiah. So this was this was not a wholesale uh, abandonment on the part of the Jewish people. Every one of his disciples were Jewish. The ones who were disciples of the disciples were Jewish by and large. Uh, the masses that followed him were all were all Jewish. As you know, there were no Gentiles born again until Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, which means the, the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, all Jews. The 5,000 that followed yes. along a few chapters later, yes, all Jews. Without so, question. I right. agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, so the, so, so, the whole, so the whole decade, so we have a whole decade that goes by before Cornelius actually enters into uh, the faith. Now, what happens, of course, after that is with the advent of the Apostle Paul and Apostle Barnabas going to the Gentile world, we as Gentiles just numerically outweigh the Jewish nation, you know, right. by by I don't know how many times more. So, definitely, we are a more Gentile-dominated uh, faith, but the faith is inherently Judaic and Hebraic, and I don't see that there is a quote-unquote Gentile age, and I don't think you'll find that phrase anywhere within oh, the Scripture. I- well, 
you know, so many people refer to the time that we're in as the church age, and I would say that I would probably agree with you that you couldn't find church age. Right. But this is walking away from where we're talking at. One, one point that I would like to make is in Romans 11, mm-hmm. I think, and, and we don't have to read all of that because we'll wear too many folks out and we don't have time <laughs> for all of this, to be fair to everyone, because it's just so big, really. But where where it's talked about in Romans 11 that that they are uh, um, 11 and 25, I believe, specifically, I could just cite you that real quick. I do not want you believers, and I'm using uh, the amplified uh, version simply because it expands meaning, word, and manners and stuff like that mm-hmm. from from the American Standard Version. But it says, I do not want you believers to be unaware of this mystery, God's previously plan, so that you will not be wise in your own opinion that a partial hardening has temporarily happened to Israel to last until the full number of of the Gentiles has come in. And and this is why I brought up this Gentile age phrase. Mm-hmm. And so it says, at that time, all Israel, that is all Jews who have personal faith in Jesus as Messiah, will be saved just as written in the Scripture. Mm-hmm. And that is verified by your um, talking about what Paul had done, because so many of Paul's writings, when in you look in verse 1 of, of like Romans and Ephesians, Galatians, etc., he so uh, graciously gives us information to say who he's writing to, and most of the time he's writing to Messianic Jews. So those are, as you said, Jews who became believers, and what he was dealing with in those various groups uh, uh, congregated in the in the setting of the oikos, or home house churches, because they were they had to, I guess, meet in synagogues, possibly, since yep. there was no temple. Can, right. can let, me, let, me, let, me, let me just jump in real quick, because yeah, we got a lot of, we just got need a lot to of people. why you okay, think let, this is bad, why, why yeah. the thing in here's Jerusalem why, is bad. why I think it's bad, Thank because you. in trying to get to the point of understanding what true Torah Jews think, I found that I would have to look at their perspective, and I think that at their website, Facebook page, and Twitter account, true Torah Jews, as their spokesperson, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, Mm -hmm. makes a very clear point that on the advent in 1897, when Theodore Herzl headed the first, he was a Hungarian Mm -hmm. Jew probably, he established this first Zionist Congress, Mm -hmm. where there was this thrust from that time forward for this place, this sliver that the Balfour, Balfour Declaration and the British procured and the UN and American politicians to be called the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. I sincerely think that we should look at the genealogy because all through God's word, it's completely and always genealogy, genealogy. You get to Matthew one and there is the genealogy. Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro makes a overwhelming case that there cannot be a capital for Jews. All right. Based on what the, the the Torah has to say, and that's primarily where I will have to leave this to be fair to you all. And again, I would encourage you to look for that phraseology of the Gentile age, and we know that that is concluded. First Corinthians fifteen, uh, in in verse about fifty. First Thessalonians four seventeen. When the Lord appears in the air, when yeah. the harpazo event. This is a non-believing rabbi, place. correct? This is a non-believing rabbi? He, 
Yes, okay. correct. He is, All right. he is not a he is not a messianic Jew by any standard. All However, right. if you search out some messianic Jews in closing, you will see that they parallel in their sentiment because of the Torah position that they hold. And Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, I believe, is someone that we as born again <laughs> Jews should listen to. All right, right. Roman, I'm going to let you go. I got like Thank four you. other people Thank, waiting. Thanks, thanks, Roman. Thanks for your much. thanks God for your call. You. Let's go to you guys and. Quickly, can you answer his question yeah. fairly quickly? Um, no, not quickly at all. Because okay. they're, they're, for one, I could care less what a non-believing rabbi has to say about the capital if he can't even accept the Messiah. So if you're going to accept that he says Jerusalem can't be the capital of Israel, I'm not going to – if he says that, well, then let's accept his belief that, that Jesus can't be the Messiah. You can't just take because he's got some quote-unquote Torah evidence that says that's not true – uh, then, well, let's accept as evidence that Yeshua is not the Messiah if we're going to grab one instance of it. Yeah. But there are countless scriptures that talk about the return of the Jewish people, all the way going back to Deuteronomy when they were going to be separated, and that this, this day was going to come. And Jerusalem had to be the capital, has to be, of the Jewish people before Jesus can come back because he says, you, speaking to Jerusalem, said, you will not see me again until you, Jerusalem, say that I am the Messiah. So this is an absolute precursor to his return. Absolute. Okay. And I also think that it leans very closely to what I would call dispensationalism That's or right. replacement theology, where, whereby we say God is the, the word is divided in dispensations. The Jews had their chance. They blew it. Now it's our turn. And so that becomes a little bit much on the leaning towards the dispensational or replacement theology side now that we replace Israel as God's focus of attention. Yep. All right. We got to take a break. And then Richard and uh, Jim, we're going to get to you. We haven't forgotten about you. If you got questions, a two three oh nine six five. What was yesterday kind of all about, biblically? We'll get back to that subject as we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back and let's see. Let's start off with Richard. Richard, thanks for being, uh, you know, patient. You're up. That's fine. I just got. To, I have two questions, but. Uh... Uh, I want to ask you about, because I had a debate with somebody yesterday, but uh, how many uh, walked across the water? Um, how many people have walked on water? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we know Jesus did, who, right? Who and Peter. Other, who was the other one? Peter. Correct. That is correct. A lot of people don't know that when you ask them that, and they don't believe that, but... Uh, uh, that's what I thought. That was true. Peter walked across it, and so did Jesus. And he started, and he started sinking. And Christ reached out and grabbed him and brought him back to the surface. That's correct. And the other question I have: If you're a Christian and they were to kill themselves, uh, that make you go to hell? All right. With that question, I'm going to let you go because we're running up against time, and we'll let, we we've dealt with this before. We'll do do it again, but in a shortened version. Well, the short answer is: is it's not addressed. Um, there are many different ways to look at it. Uh, some will look at it as um, murder, as uh, unrepentant murder. Uh, but I, I'll, whenever we have this discussion, whenever this is asked of me, you have to look at every situation different because you don't know the circumstances. I have never been in that situation, and nor can I fathom someone's mentality who would be in that place. Um, and not knowing their situation and what brought them to this place uh, whether it be someone that's coming back from war, somebody who was molested, whatever the situation is, you can never answer that question because we just don't know. So I just don't, I just don't think it could be answered, honestly. Yeah, when the Bible is silent about something, the best thing for us to do is to also be silent. Is it, is it murder? Of course it's murder. But does, uh, does, does a sin keep you out of the kingdom of God? Does it keep you out of heaven? 
I don't think it's the best way to enter, um, but does it exclude you from? Um, if that's the case, then uh, every time you sin, then you lose your salvation. Uh, you know, if you if a sin keeps you out, so uh, it's a big question. It's not fir- firm, firmly addressed. So what we do is we rely on the mercy and the grace of God in situations like that, because the only people who know are the ones who made it to the other side. Yep. All right. With that, we need to break because we got news coming up. Jim is out in Grant County, and uh, Bill is in Little Rock. They're waiting to ask questions. We'll get to their questions when we turn, guys. Just be patient and stay with us. If you got a question, best thing you can do is call now. Get set up with Russ, and we'll be ready to take your question when we come back. It's the Dave Ellswick Show right here at 101.1. The answer, we're glad you're with us today. The Bible guys are with us. If you can't get to a phone, but you can send me an email, it's uh, bibleguys at salemlr.com. More questions and answers when we return. All right, 25 minutes until 4. The phone lines are open, 823-0965. Jim is in Grant County. Jim, how are you? Welcome to the Bible guys and your question. Yeah, hi guys. I got a question and I got an answer that I don't know if you guys know about, but okay. one is uh, all my life, hundreds of times, I've heard that six million Jews were killed in the death camps. That's all I've ever heard. It's been told the same way over and over again. Mm-hmm. What about the millions of Christians that tried to save them, help them, and refused to persecute them mm-hmm. that were dragged away and murdered right alongside of them? You never hear about the millions of Christians that died by the hands of socialists. Mm-hmm. You never hear that. And yeah. it's, I consider it an insult yeah. not to have a remembrance of the help they received. Yeah. You know, it didn't exist. Yeah. You know, all they died. I'm sorry. Millions of innocent Christians died, too. That's and right. it was tough to help them. Yeah. But now for the answer... The reason that they were in the death camps and been persecuted all this time was due to a, a prophecy in the Old Testament that the first time God told him, said, you break my Sabbath, you're going away a year for a day. It went away for 250 years. Then when they came back, he said that if you do it again, I'm going to whack you seven times harder. If you add all the dates up from the time that it all started, it comes back to when Israel became a nation. Mm. In other words, at the exact day that Israel became a nation, it was over. It was a prophecy and a ruling by God. And that's how come they've been persecuted all this time. Mm. And, you know, and here's another point I was thinking the other day. If God ordained that, if God said he was going to do it, am I the one to say it was wrong? You know? I'm, it's just, I'm not saying anything belittling. I'm just sure. saying, am I going to tell God he was wrong to do it? Right. I don't think so. And not, when you move your radio station, you totally trash me. <laughs> what? <laughs> we haven't totally trashed you. We're going to let you go, and we'll talk about what you just talked about. Right. Um, and Jim Jim is correct. There there were there were a lot of Christians who, who died during the... Uh, uh, the Holocaust. As a matter of fact, I think the numbers are about 11 million mm-hmm. uh, total that were uh, systematically gassed. Six million of them were, in fact, Jewish people, which obviously is a horrific number of people. But there was an additional five million people that were uh, also uh, gassed and and, um, and massacred. And we don't talk about them. 
a good number of them were the Christians that um, sought to help and to aid. And whenever Christians sought to help and aid, they were also put in the ghettos or put in the uh, the death camps. But in addition to that, the Nazis systematically uh, massacred um, the handicapped. Uh, they did the same thing with uh, gypsies. Um, there was, you know, if you don't live in, I, I used to live in Europe, and, and we used to have there'd be whole subdivisions or towns that were that were gypsies i mean they would dress a certain way they would dress in black velvet and bright colors and shiny they're they're actually a subset of people they're called the gypsies and they're actually an actual people group and they were also a part of the uh the massacre anyone who had any type of variant behavior to the norm was also massacred i mean these were these as he said about the whole socialist the, the national socialist party was 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 a murdering machine that killed not only the jews Mo, but any of the people they disagree with, and a good portion of them is also Christians. The, and if I remember right, there is an actual day in which they remember the righteous Gentile in Israel. That's right. Uh, for for their acts and what they did for the Jewish people during that period of time. Yeah, and at, if you go to the Yad Vashem Museum in Jerusalem, they have an entire area dedicated to the memory of the righteous Gentiles. It's called the Garden of the Righteous Gentiles, and they have trees planted and memorials and statues and plaques all towards the righteous Gentiles. So although... You don't hear about the righteous Gentiles or these Christians who did all this in the world setting. Israel has, as Steve said, a day to honor those people and also a memorial garden and structures that that, that also celebrate them. I did my doctoral dissertation uh, related to, in part, on the righteous Gentiles, and there are books and books and volumes of books written about the Jewish about the uh, about the um, the righteous Gentiles from France and the righteous Gentiles from Holland and the righteous Gentiles from all the other nations that has, uh, aided and assisted. So, Jim, although it might be very quiet here in America about the Christians who ha- who helped, you will find in the nation of Israel they very loudly proclaim the praise of those who sought to help them and died in the process. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We've got Bill, and he's in Little Rock. Bill, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Thank you, Dave. Uh, I have a couple comments on it. Just wanted to throw in the discussion about questions about dispensationalism. But I, I listened to your program several times, never caught the whole thing. So I'm really curious about your two Bible guys, their names, and where they're from. Okay. If you could mention that again. Sure, real quickly. Uh, Scott Stewart is uh, the pastor at Agape Church at 701 Napa Valley Drive in Little Rock. Okay. And then uh, Steve Hess. Uh, works at uh, Agape Church as well, basically with the school. Is the that college, correct? Yeah. Okay, yeah, with, with the, the new Institute. college, okay. American Institute. Right, good. Well, thank you for that orientation. Uh, I, just to make a couple of comments about dispensationalism, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, uh, you know, it seems to me that uh, covenants are the primary uh, tool that God has used as opposed to dispensations, starting with the Abrahamic covenant, moving forward to David, the new covenant. Et cetera, et cetera, that is his basis of working with his people through salvation. Paul even mentions that in Ephesians, uh, you know, in chapter two, I believe it is about we've been saved through the, we were strangers to the covenants and the Gentiles have been brought in. Mm-hmm. So I think that's primary, but, se- but secondly, obviously they're from very clear from Paul's work that uh, there is a distinction between the Gentile Christians and Hebrew Christians, so, you know, we don't want to take dispensationalism so far that we <laughs> break up the categories in all these different regions and make everything different, but we have some, you don't have unity in the Scriptures if you don't have covenant foundation, mm-hmm. but you don't have uh, understanding about why 
the church operates one way and the Jews operate another way if you don't have dispensations. And then my second comment, just to enter the discussion, would be about this whole thing about Israel. And uh, what some one thing one of my professors, Dr. Bruce Walker, used to say is that there is uh, national Israel, there is spiritual Israel, and there is national spiritual Israel. So the term has three different levels of meaning depending on who you're referring to in the context. So I'll just leave those two thoughts with you guys and see what you like to do with them. All, All right. right. Thanks for your call, Good Bill. Pleasure. We appreciate you. How much time we got, Dave? Uh, I can give you five minutes. Okay. Uh, just to mention, um, I appreciate uh, your comments uh, there, Bill, um, but I still um, maintain there is no such thing as dispensationalism in the way that it's taught. Uh, in the way that it's taught, it is basically taught, well, the Jews – one set of rules apply to the Jews, one set of criteria applies to the Jews, and uh, that is not us, and therefore that doesn't apply to us. Or the Jews had their chance, they blew it, now God's focus and his attention is on is on the church. Uh, we have the dispensation of grace, the dispensation of the church age. I mean, you can, you can name almost any, make up any word and stick the word dispensation on it, and people accept it as being something that's valid. Um, the covenantial aspect is the better way to look at it, and you're absolutely right. Uh, that's the way you should look at things, and but but covenants do not. And I and I've made this statement before, and I'll go ahead and say it again. Uh, the belief that covenants rise and fall or disappear based upon a new covenant arising is really once again um, an erroneous teaching. Let me just give you a quick example, and I'll pass it over to Steve. Um, the Noah people say I'm not under the old covenant, and you have to say, well, what old covenant you're not under? Uh, the Noah, Noahic covenant is a very old covenant, but how many know that God's not going to flood the earth again? Just look for the rainbow. That rainbow in the sky is a sign that God has said, I'm not, I've got a covenant with the earth and with the, all living things, and I will not destroy it again. The Abrahamic covenant comes along where God said, this is my covenant. I promise this land to you and your descendants for an everlasting, I like to pronounce that word, everlasting covenant, promise. Now, Abraham's, Abraham's covenant came in, but it did did not dislodge Noah's covenant. It didn't stop Noah's covenant. As a matter of fact, the covenants layered on top of each other, intensifying their strength with one another. The Davidic covenant came along, promising the throne to the descendant of David. That's why Jesus is going to sit on a throne, because it was promised to his descendants. But David's covenant did not dislodge Abraham's covenant, nor did it stop Noah's covenant. Noah it layered on top of it and intensified it. When the new covenant come along, came along, it did the same thing. It didn't do away with the Davidic covenant because Jesus is still the king of the line of David. It didn't stop the Abrahamic covenant because God's promise for everlasting land possession belongs to the Jews, and it certainly didn't stop the Noahic covenant it's because we still have the rainbow in the sky. The new covenant did not stop, suspend, put off, or push aside for a period of time of dispensation, any of the other covenants. They all continue and are ongoing. The typical problem is with what they call the Mosaic Covenant, but we can go through a list of times in the in the Mosaic Covenant where it uses the word everlasting, perpetual, throughout all your generations. There's so much in the Mosaic Covenant that is perpetual and ongoing and everlasting, it too was not put aside or stopped. The only thing that was suspended was or put aside was the sacrifice for sin. And the rabbis already said that based out of Daniel that when Messiah comes they'll put an end to sin and stop the oblation and stop the, the sacrifice. So there has not been a cessation of any covenant uh, in its totality, period. Dispensation is a, a, a horrible word in the sense that uh, it implies time. 
that there's this period of time. Or as we started off with, with Roman when he talked about uh, that this was the age of the church age. Um, the problem with the theology is that that thing that says, like what Scott was saying, that there's a standard for the Jews and a standard for the, for the Gentiles, or that there was no plan for the Gentiles. So we look at it and we go, oh, well, the Jews didn't receive the Messiah, uh, so therefore he turns to the church, and now he's going to go after the church, when in fact the uh, the Gentiles were all part of the plan. That's right. And Romans 11 that Roman was talking to when he says that uh, the blindness in part came to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, what are they coming into? And what they're coming into is Israel, not the church. They're coming into Israel. They're coming to be part of the nation of Israel. And Ephesians 2 explains all this to us because prior to the coming of the Messiah, prior to Cornelius, prior to the revelation of Acts 10, everybody had to convert to Judaism. The mystery, it says in Ephesians 2, part of the mystery of the, of the Christ is that the Gentiles get to be joint heirs of the same body, which is Israel, not the church, which is Israel. We are now part of Israel. And the mystery is that we get to do this and not convert. Our acceptance of the Messiah allows us to be, if you will, goy, people of the nations, but yet we are part of the same partakers of the same blessings and the same covenants. That's what the mystery is, and that's what we're being brought into, not there was them, then there was us. We need to eliminate that and burn every book that teaches that, because that has destroyed and separated us from our heritage. So then there was them, and then there was more of them. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's kind of what you're saying, That's isn't exactly it? right. That's exactly right. That's why the Bible says, there in Ephesians, he's, call, he's talking about Ephesians there, where it says that there was a wall that was in between us, that wall was pulled down and torn down. But before you even get to the wall being torn down and pulled down, the Scripture actually says, I forget, maybe you can look it up, Steve. It says, for you were in times past yep. Gentiles. Well, if I was in times past Gentiles, then what am I now? The only, there's only one other thing you can be, and that is now you are the commonwealth of Israel. You've been plugged in. And, hey, people, if you look up the new covenant, we're talking about the new covenant with, uh, with Bill there. What is the new covenant? This is what it says in Roman, Hebrews 8 and Jeremiah 31. This is the new covenant that I will make with them in those days, saith the Lord. I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Okay, so where's the church? That's right. If you're not a part of Israel and Judah, you're not a part of the new covenant. That's right. All right, let's get a break here. Conventional wisdom says you should delay claiming Social Security to maximize your benefits, but that strategy today could wind up costing you tens of thousands of dollars. There's a lot more to claiming your Social Security benefits than you know. Your decision could trigger an avalanche of taxes, double your Medicare premiums, ultimately cost you tens of thousands of dollars, even more. Learn how you could avoid this with a free customized Social Security review from David Lucas of David Lucas Financial right here in North Little Rock. David's a published author, hosted the David Lucas Show right here on 1011 The Answer. So if you've saved $200,000 for retirement, be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free review now at 501-653-6690, 501-653-6690. All right, let me remind you that uh, Scott Stewart is the pastor at Agape Church, 701 Napa Valley Drive in Little Rock. Their Sunday service is at 10 a.m., their website is Agape Church Little Rock. That's A C L R 
Org. His Twitter is uh, at Dr. Scott Stewart. It's just D-R, no period. Scott with two T's, Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T. And uh, Steve, have you come into the 21st century yet? <laughs> hey, hang on, let me, let me give you my, my Twitter handle. That's it. That's he doesn't it. have one. All right. <laughs> Bottom line. All right. So uh, you can see Steve. You can see Scott. They're uh, teaching classes now that you can take yep. mm-hmm. uh, dealing with Hebraic roots and understanding your faith from a Hebrew standpoint, which is probably the best standpoint since it's about Hebrews. All right. <laughs> uh, so let's, you know, why don't you guys tell everybody about this? We're down to about five minutes left. Well, tomorrow, I guess, would be the official launch date of the school where all, people have been registering. Uh, we've had a whole bunch of people start registering for all the classes. Uh, but tomorrow they'll be able to access those classes and start Ooh. taking them online. So, yeah, this has been uh, about a year and a half, two years in the making. It's you know, been, been, a, about it's it for been a, a work of love, though. It is. It is. It is because, the, you know, I've been a little animated and excited here for those who can't see on Facebook because this thing is a passion of my life, yeah. <laughs> and I love to talk about um, – especially dispensational mentality or replacement theology or have any of those kind of debates. But it's not so much of a debate as starting to realize who we are and who the body of Christ really is. And and this the whole reason we were going to talk about today was Jerusalem and what was going on, because we are part with those people. We are part with that land. That's where the Messiah is going to rule and reign from. And, and he is restoring the Hebraic roots. He is restoring his church to what it was like in the first century. He's getting them to think. He's getting us. He's getting us believers in him to think and process the Bible from a Hebraic standpoint. So these are very exciting times, and I would I can't say encourage you enough to go to AmericanInstitute.org and start registering and taking some of these classes and find out what the Jewish culture like was back then, what, what it meant um, to be like in Jesus's time or what it means to think like a Hebrew or study the Bible from that perspective and find out what those guys believed and what they taught when they were writing and experiencing everything that happened. And your Bible will become so alive and make so much more sense. And I believe Scott's often used the, um, the phrase that there are over 40,000 denominations in Christianity and it's true. And if we studied from this perspective, uh, all of those things that caused those strife and division would simply eliminate themselves mm-hmm. if we just understood what they understood. Our, most of the divisions would go away. Now, the pride and arrogance of man would keep the rest of them, but there would, it would eliminate the vast majority of them. Just You'll get that in some of the classes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Yeah. He moved some of his passion into the advert for the school. Yeah, I encourage everybody to uh, to attend um, uh, the classes. I think that if you if you have a hunger for the Word of God, it will. Uh, I believe it will satisfy that uh, that hunger and that thirst. So, what's the website? It is AmericanInstitute.org. AmericanInstitute.org. I guess I need to put that up on my wall behind me. Oh, that'd be Sounds cool. Good. And you, you, the, if you, the, the home page, you have a little little knob there, a little button. It'll just say register now. You click on that, and it can get you into the classes and uh, get you started off. Your very first class would be Introduction to Hebrew Roots. Any uh, any books you have to buy or anything like that? Uh, not in the first semester, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, they will be forthcoming as the time goes on. Our main textbook uh, during the first uh, semester is is the Bible, and it will always what be. What a big surprise. <laughs> Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. Now, okay, so i got to ask this question. We're down to one minute. Mm-hmm. What version of the Bible do you suggest? King James or 
New American Standard, New King James, or you all know there's a million different versions now. Which one do you like? We recommend the Tanakh Biavrit. Okay. That means the Bible in Hebrew. All right. So <laughs> should you go out and buy a Hebrew Bible? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little facetious. Obviously, the original or is, lexicon. The, is the best. Yeah, you're going to need, I mean, uh, there are a variety of good, of good translations out there. None of them are going to be as good as what the original is. I typically, myself, personally, I use the, uh, the New King James for my for my, uh, I like New reading. King James. That's what I got. That's so, the one I typically use. I got a question for you, Steve. Okay. Mm-hmm. Should uh, people know that somewhere along the line you can learn Hebrew through this class, mm-hmm. through these yeah. classes? You will be able to not in this first uh, um, first well, year. No, but you got to get you got to get your feet under your first yeah, man. Yeah. But and that it, there's going to be an option to do that soon. Yep, very cool. Yep, you guys are to be commended. Lord's been using you on this stuff. Praise God. Good for you guys. Thank you, sir. All, All right, right Bible guys. Next week, uh, I think Scott's going to going to you know squeal out on us, but that's all right. He'll be <laughs> back in in a week after. And Bill, who you heard on the phone, he's going to come join. Oh, that'll us. be fun. He's from Dallas Theological Seminary. That's where he got his degree. Know all about that, but uh, and then Steve will be here. Billy coming next week? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Can, all yeah, right. probably. I gotta get out of here. Talk more about. I got ten seconds. I'll see you tomorrow at two o'clock. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.